There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1009. If you head on over to ID10T.com, very soon... This week, maybe. The week of 4th of July, 2019. Um, there might be some Rick and Morty gear up there. Some shirts and stuff. A shirt. Some hats. Stuff. So head on over to ID10T.com. Also, live tour dates. Uh, Addison, Texas coming up. Also, Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, some other dates in the fall. That's ID10T.com slash tour for those ticket links and live dates. But now let's talk about... The ID10T community, events at ID10T.com. Like Gray, who writes, I've been a fan of my brother-in-law's band Spirit Ditch for many, many years. They are a whiskey blues band that originated from Missoula, Montana, which I've been to. It's a cool town. And, well, they've just released their sixth studio album, The Gospels, and was hoping to get the word out about it. All right, the word has been gotten. Uh, Without sounding biased, which I know is impossible to do, the album has truly been a labor of love that I really think has been the biggest step up for them. Having recorded and produced the entire album themselves, I really believe it's next-level stuff, and I'm excited for people to hear it. I know I have it on repeat pretty much all day. All their albums are available everywhere. Amazon Music, iTunes, YouTube. Again, the band is called Spirit Ditch. Um, Also, Sean writes... Just want to give a shout out to the local improv theater here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I've been many times. I think I played in chess tournaments there when I was growing up, but enough about me. Uh, I've been going, and this is back to Sean, uh, I've been going for just under a year now, and they're a wonderful and talented group of improvisers. They do two shows every Friday and Saturday, ranging from creating hour-long movies from audience suggestions, shows where they do scenes based on your own personal short stories, and just standard short-form improv. They also host local stand-up comedians in a monthly special show. Seriously, the most fun you can find around and just wanted to share. Uh, the improv group is called Improv Chattanooga, and that's there in Chattanooga, and it's improv. So everything you need to know is right in the title right there, which is uh, very helpful. Uh, good job, everyone, for uh, keeping improv alive in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And now this episode is my old friend, Mr. Pete Holmes of You Made It Weird. Game change. Game change. I don't know why I would think... Did we ever talk about that on the podcast, what that meant? That starting a podcast was like a game changer, so Pete and I would just, years ago when we, I had started mine and then he started his, we would just text each other different pictures of things that said game change and game changer on them. I don't know why. You know, sometimes inside jokes really are inside. (laughs) They're so insulated to the people. But anyway, when I say game change, that's what I mean. But uh, Pete is such a thinker in the best way, and I love having him on the podcast it's because the the riffs are high intensity and uh, high velocity and then also it just roller coasters into these wonderful areas um there's really kind of spiritualism and existentialism that i 
absolutely love going into and then right back to like fart riffs. So I, <laughs> Pete's always one of my favorite guests. And this, I think, is a three-peat. This is a, a three-peat. Do you see that was an accidental riff? Three-peat. I should hashtag this number three and then Pete, P-E-T-E. And then I'll boo myself after that. Boo. But uh, Pete is promoting Comedy Sex God, which is his book that is available now wherever books are sold. And uh, also the You Made It Weird podcast, um, which is still going strong. So uh, I'm very excited to have episode number 1009 with Mr. Pete Holmes. Hashtag three Pete. Hashtag game change. Bioshock? Do you? Like, I mean, they are kind of Bioshocky, aren't they? They are definitely Bioshocky. But the underwater one. The under, yeah, Bioshock. Uh, is just it, Bioshock. Just Bioshock. The original yeah. Bioshock. Uh, Bioshock Infinite was pretty great, though. I prefer it. It. I love the uh, the weird kind of existential quantumy shit going on, and I agree. it just. I didn't get it. I should play it again. You should, <laughs> because did you get it? Did you like understand? Well, I had to. I had to. Re- I mean, like as soon as I finished the game, mm. I thought I kind of understood, but I still needed help. So of course, I went on and read a bunch of forums or much smarter people explaining like about all of the you know that what it, kind of. It's like every time you make a choice, you know how people yes, say yes, this yes, at parties. Yes, 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 like, well, yes. every time you make a choice, yes, 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 two yes, realities yes. are spawned, and we all just act it's that like Heisenberg thing, you yeah. know. But it's still just a fucking fun game with a lot of cool. But it's outdoors. I, I like it because the first one was in. See, okay, this is a good example. Mario three. There's a Mario three. Yeah, it's a very bright game. Like, think about this game. Yeah, and the color palette of this game. And yeah, you're like you're outdoors, and like when I saw a crouching tiger, hidden dragon mm-hmm. all the fights are at night yeah like fuck you it seems like they got the note you know what i mean like if you think about like where stuff happens in movie well that's not always true but think about um solo yes bright movie well but in the old days of video games everything had to be bright because they had more limited colors and now that's true now they can you know now they can paint with them with a, an infinite palette yeah and so you can have like a you can have really dark games that are which is why we have so many right and why i liked bioshock infinite so much because you were i played the first part of that game many many times the walls look like Bioshock. Yeah, there's a lot of Bioshocky vibe in here. It's just that kind of old timey steampunk. Is that? That's from Meltdown. <laughs> Look at the floor. Look at the floor. It's the green room. Oh my god! <laughs> wow, you're good, Rich. You know what I mean? No, no, no. No, I, I don't mean you're like you have a lot of money. I'm saying you're doing good things with your production. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I mean, if some you, people are terrible with their money. When when guests see them, they have a different face. Yeah. When, when <laughs> so see, you can't see my face right now, but this is the face that makes it. You look like Gilbert. But, but the but the the week before Gaston shut down Meltdown, which is basically when he emailed me, he was like, okay, next week we're going to close the Meltdown. My immediate response was, can I salvage the floor from the green room? Yeah. And can I, um, can I get one of the aliens? 
And so I had it completely redone. Like the I fixed all the neon and had really? it. Yeah, I had it completely. So redone. it's the original Alien with new new neon. Yeah. Oh my god! It just buzzes, so I don't keep it on. Of course, while we're podcasting. But yeah, that's that was that was the one up on Sunset. I just felt hungover. <laughs> <laughs> like that buzz neon that, that is sense, what it feels like. That sense memory of being there at Meltdown. Are you? Where, where do you? Oh no! I know. No, not because Meltdown. I was never really drunk at Meltdown. Just from going to bars with neon signs? Not even. Just I think the feeling of neon is in bars because it was first that a hangover and being like kind of like smoky drunk feels like neon. Right. Oh, I guess that's true because like, you feel buzzy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're just your head buzzes. I vaguely remember that feeling. And then they met. Well, I also stopped drinking. I haven't drank in almost two years. Oh, nice job. Yeah, I love it. And I love to. Are we recording? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love to plug the book. I read this book. Did you go? Do you mind if I ask Mm-mm. if you went through the program? You'd- I started. I went to the program. I went. I went to a couple meetings in the beginning, and I didn't really connect with it. So I sort of built my own structure with a couple comedians who were friends as sponsors and a therapist. And oh, really? Yeah. And what I, was and it I that bumped to Dr. you? Drew a lot. What really? was it? What that bumped you? Um, it was the few meetings that I went to. I always left sadder than when I got there. Oh wow. Um, I was actually not not that quitting was super easy, mm-hmm. but um, but I was always very excited about the choice because it felt like a new direction for me, and so I would go to a meeting and feel like I'm so excited to be here, and then Dude, just like my my I, kind of like codependent empathic thing would just absorb other people's yeah. tragedy stories, and yeah. I would leave and, and feel bummed. Yeah, but I didn't understand at the time. You're like was, a sponge fish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was yeah. still so new and with sobriety, and now. I have been to meetings since, and you know, full disclosure, I don't go very often, and and I do appreciate and enjoy them because I understand that it's more about, you know, re- releasing that need to where you're the center of the universe, releasing that right, need to right. sort of whatever the the kind of ego stuff, and um, and now I, I appreciate it on a much different right. level. But it took a long time for me to get to that point. I relate to that very hard, and I also relate to that in sort of an abstract way, which is like that's how people feel about writing. I went to a writer's workshop. Uh-huh. I was at a thing, actually. And there happened to be a writer's workshop at the thing. Yeah. And um, it was actually the Ram Dass retreat. And Anne Lamont was there. And Anne Lamont was talking about writing. And Anne Lamont is a genius. This is no, like, like you appreciate AA. Right. I deeply appreciate and love Anne Lamont. But when she was talking about writing, I realized that, and again, she's written 18 books. So, like... I've written a lot of scripts, but you know what I mean? Like, she's a real writer. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm just new to the book game. So, like, you shouldn't even be – go ahead and hit the forward button a few times as if this is an ad for Blue Apron. Go ahead and skip this. (laughs) Skip ahead. You don't need to cook at home and you don't need to hear this point. Um, This anti-sponsorship was brought to you by You Made It Work. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we're just telling people what not to use. That's so funny. Although I I like Blue Apron, and I got it from my mom. And they're not an official sponsor of the podcast. Are they? They could be. They could be. Um, I think we also use Blue Apron. (laughs) Why do you shit on Blue Apron, Pete? But we we stopped because I felt so guilty about getting like a single, like like evidence from a crime scene. There'd be a single (laughs) sprig of rosemary in a plastic bag (laughs) shipped to me in dry ice. I was like, what am I, Mr. Burns? (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't need a single sprig of rosemary sent to me so I can have the, oh, it's like, it's rich guy shit. It's like, you feel like you're doing the cooking. Put it you're over not. there with the vial of turmeric. <laughs> like, what do I, you just have this weird laboratory. Go to the store, you fucking Howard By the Hughes. way, I also like the idea that you, like, you subtly go on other people's podcasts and just start tanking sponsorships <laughs> on those podcasts. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. It's like Tony Soprano when he went to all the lawyers to take meetings so they wouldn't be able to take meetings with Carmella. Yeah, that's so and, and Lamont, stuff. you're at yeah. this writing workshop. Anyway, clearly uh, respect paid, but her approach to writing, she was like, writing is hard. Writing sucks, and you need to say yes to how hard it is, and you need to like push through how much it sucks. Mm-hmm. And I do think I'm in a, in a minority, and and she would agree <laughs> if she was here. She wouldn't be like, well, that doesn't exist. Right. You just say like, I guess you're different. I really like writing. And uh, my, so it sounds like you were excited about getting sober. I was excited about writing. I wasn't like, all right, sit at the keyboard and bleed. Right. I didn't feel that way. Right. I was like, sit at the keyboard and make myself laugh. Like, Mm -hmm. it made me feel like doing stand-up alone. Yeah. I was like, can I, can I get the wording out just right? And can I get the layout just right? And. Oh, I forgot that memory. And so I would get, like, there were some days that I would go in and it would be very painful. And I would just wouldn't do it. Yeah. I would just go, it's not here today. <laughs> well, and, and, <laughs> and that I'd leave. But, but see, and a lot of times, and a, lot of Bioshock. Those, a lot of those types of writers that you're talking about would say, like, that's the time where you really got to squeeze yeah, it out. I, like, I believe that. Because that's where, you know, you, it may not feel good. But even if all of it's unusable, it greases the wheels for the next time. Totally. And you know what they're, they're manufacturing, I would say, is like a bad stand-up set. My, our nanny, Katie Fischel, who's amazing, who has a great Instagram, sex underscore is underscore weird. Don't use underscores anymore. <laughs> so you're simultaneously promoting most, and I mostly just promoted the punctuation <laughs> underscore. Most of what I just said was underscore. Underscore, yeah. Sex is weird with underscores. She's hilarious. I was talking to her. I had come home from, I had it like a, I don't remember where the bad set was, but I had a bad set. It was okay. I don't think the crowd was like, he had a bad set, but I was like, I didn't like that. And then the next night I had another set and it was a great set. Right. And you realize that it's the bad set that's like pulling the bow Mm -hmm. back on the, the bow string back on the bow that releases Sorry. Releases the... Do you need a moment? Are I need okay? a moment. I'm crying. <laughs> the set. No, that was breakfast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It wasn't heartburn. It was just viscous and gross, and I am an old man. So there was some bacon that was like, what's going on back up here? Hey, I'm not- coming back! I'm not ready! I'm not ready to die! I don't want to go to the dark shoot. <laughs> they know, because there's lore. The bacon there's knows. like myth. The bacon yeah, is yeah, talking not ready. to itself about and the lore And then your esophagus, the muscles of your esophagus push it down and go, let it go. Yes. Just let it go, bacon. That's what peristalsis means. Just let go to sleep. Go. Just go let to sleep. Go. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I'm crying, and uh, what was I saying? It doesn't matter. Oh, you were talking about having a bad oh, set. bad sets inform the good sets. So I think they're trying to, or not trying, that's their version of... We know when we have a bad stand-up set that that's part of it. Right. But when I'm doing uh, writing, writing the book or whatever, I'm like, I have enough of that in my evening life. Yeah, I don't need to also. That's not to say that when I was under the deadline, I didn't like push and stuff. What I'm saying is, like you, with sobriety, I also was like, I'm also like a real flip switch guy. So I was like, oh, I'm doing this now. I can quit things very easily. Mm-hmm. I can also start things very easily. Yes. I'm a big, dumb animal. But I realize I'm 40 years old. I realize that my body direct, takes direct orders. Like it need, but it needs direct orders. So I go, stop drinking. And it goes, why? And I go, 
This brings me to the book I wanted to plug. It's called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Great as an audiobook. It's just like Alan Carr's book. It, it really breaks down mm-hmm. what alcohol's really doing to you. Yeah. And it sort of makes you feel like a, a dumb bitch. <laughs> and that's what I needed. I want, like, go ahead and drink. Like, my wife still drinks. My friend, obviously, all our friends drink and stuff. It's fine. Like, it doesn't bother me. But, like, I, I keep trying to spread the gospel, not just with drinking, with whatever you're doing, just make sure it's you that wants to do it. Right. Not like a chemical addiction. Not like a marketing campaign that told you Michelob so was a good So hard to separate time. those things, too. I know, but, like, you can go around punching people square in the face in Times Square. Is it you? <laughs> you know, like, I, don't do that. That's <laughs> no, 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 don't That's do violent. That. Yeah. But yeah, I heard about people that did that. That must have been why it's on my mind. Don't hurt people, but, like, do whatever you want. You can have your liberty. But is there something at play the way that uh, it's talked about in media and movies and TV, you know, your family as like a cool thing. And then also like the chemical component. They're just like alcohol is very, very addictive. Well, it is. But I also for me, I think it's also like, you know, I I always looked at it like this, like, well, I could drink every day of my life like I was doing. But I have a sense of where that leads, and I choose not to have that path. And there's like no... the bacon. We know yeah, where yes, this exactly. <laughs> I know where it ends. Up. Yeah, you yeah. were the bacon climbing up in yeah. my throat, and and the peristalsis of the alcohol is trying to yes. just say, let, let go, let go, let go. But but ultimately, I just thought, well, I want a different path, and the things that I wish to achieve, I know, do not involve that path. Yeah. So I'm going to do this. That's because... hyper practical. I'm not. That sounds like I'm putting it down. I'm like that is. I I admire <laughs> how practical that is. You hear how, how mine is emotional. My is right. like, I don't want to be a bitch. Yeah. And yours is is that feeling but like mobilized. But I understand yours too because I, you know, I mean, it's there are even times where like um just having a can of beans, folks. <laughs> we're just uh we're just out by a train yard. Uh, just uh you know, we've been hoboing all night. We've been hoboing. We're yeah. sons of the soil. Santa Fe tomorrow morning. And I got the pop-top <laughs> beans. You really... The sunset out of the side of a train, <laughs> just eating some old cooked beans. Free cook With a dude. Because Lord knows we're not cooking no, them. No, 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 that, no, no. Them smokes will give us away. Well, well <laughs> they're going to know that we've hopped on. We both smell like gorilla feet, and it's great. It's uh, a zoo train. It's a zoo... <laughs> <laughs> zoo train is our new podcast. Train sh- zoos should be on trains because that's how long you want to be at a zoo. Yeah, for just, just a battle train ride. Like, but no, you're standing off. off they of just it go and by. by and you're like, flamingo. Oh wow, wow, they're taller. There they are. No penguins. Yeah, and then it's over. Maybe, a, maybe it's just like the monkeys go by a couple times. They're gonna be, you know. See, that's what a parade is. A parade is realizing this stuff is so lame. You're gonna want to see it on the go. Yes, that's right. You would not want to go see a stationary parade. That's a bad idea because that's anything in a parade. The main feature is that it's on its way out. That's just a shitty museum that you don't want to. You know, it's just like a yeah, bad, just a marching band, just playing at the Greek, <laughs> standing still, just marching in place. That's why when Beyonce did that, I was very confused. Did you see Beyonce? She played with like a, a marching band, uh-huh. and there was actually a beautiful backstory about how that's cultural and you never see that and stuff. And but the parade aspect of me, I was like, these guys should be on their way out. Listen, <laughs> stationary, stationary parade. You don't. Wanna, you don't don't want to linger too long. Stationary parade <laughs> podcast. Do you, when you go to a with party, sponsor blue apron. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Look, it looks like an evidence bag that a salad got killed in a yeah. back alley. But you want it. Well, that's uh... <laughs> you want this. You can't be ordering Postmates but every day. But the salad day. you can put back together. You, you get can to put it back together, and at the end, the croutons did you it. Can, you can be like the team that reassembled the $6 million man. But we, we can rebuild it. 
but with a salad. A gorgonzola crumble. Yeah, exactly. When I was a kid, you could order a chemistry set. Now you can get a you can yes. put together a salad and you get to eat it. Yeah, but you don't have to. You don't have to hunt and gather. You just get to. You yeah. just get to make it. They're taking care of the hunting and the gathering for you. That's right. If Neanderthals had Blue Apron, they would have. They'd still oh, be here. Oh my! And we'd have God. this dumb cousin species. There would have been no reason to evolve. <laughs> yeah, food comes in box. <laughs> it's like old time religion. The, the Blue Apron gives us our food. <laughs> they don't question it. You could, you could really fuck with a Neanderthal by subscribing to Blue Apron for them, but never explaining yes. why. And they just they, they worship to the dry ice. They I get guess? conditioned to just think. the God is here in a white heavy bag, but then <laughs> it, just it dissolves. Shows up. Yeah, so many of the things that we take for granted would be witchcraft in any other time period, and you'd never be able to explain. And then oh, that's just, everything. You just cut it off one day. Yes, that that is. I, I love that as a scientific approach they were talking I watched this terrible movie about um, Bob Fosse Fosse is he the UFO guy no no Bob Fosse is the jazz guy no 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 the UFO jazz It's making sounds that shouldn't be possible with common technology. If we played jazz for a UFO, it would just leave. (laughs) Fuck this. We have random beeps and boops where we came from. It's not our... We came here for structure. No, no, there is structure. They're trading fours. You don't understand. It's a pentatonic scale. (laughs) Bye. Good stay for Smash Mouth. (laughs) They want something hard hit. The aliens are literally walking on the sun. <laughs> Come on, everybody! You're literally walking on the sun. You never pictured the Greys dancing. No, but I think we just wrote a Rick and Morty episode. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's loosely based on uh, Close Encounters because don't they communicate with, bloop, bloop, with bloop, music? Bloop, bloop. Yeah. Oh my god, jazz. That, every time I go see a jazz concert, I build a mound out of potatoes and go, this means something. I get that from UHF. This, this music because I means saw something. that first. And that's a, oh, you get the, yes. you got the, you got the satire reference. Yes. That was your back to channel. It's the same with uh, The Simpsons, where Bart's reaching up to the two electrified cupcakes. Yes. Is uh, Clockwork Orange. That's but right. I saw The Simpsons he keeps, first. That's, that's right. <laughs> There's so many things that the I saw. The references are the back doors. <laughs> brought me there so wait so is is w- w- would you say that your idea of god is sort of like blue apron that sometimes you just it get shows it up. and then other times where was it it just i didn't. will say that it was yes it was that, that i forget who called it this but um it, but all of them sound condescending and i want to be careful not to be condescending to people who believe how i used to believe yes you know how people do that you yes. quit smoking and you're like you Fucking idiot! That, that'll kill you. Why am I smoking in this quit smoking sketch? But it was weed. It was, it was weed. Don't worry. Kills. It was weed. It was weed. It was good. Well, you did a cigarette space work, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah, weed is more of a. It's more this, but then also maybe maybe it's a vape pen. Maybe Ooh. you could do a vape pen space work. Mime work on a podcast. Space work for is like a stationary culture. Is my new groundlings class. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a talk. It's just a fifteen minute talk. Cigarette. Traditional weed, vape pen, old phone, cell phone, cell phone, stand up comedy phone. That's right. Is a pinky in the that phone. was our giving yeah. up because yeah. we're cool and yeah, we don't exactly. want to look like we're mimes. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, with respect noted to people who may still believe this way, I have a big heart for them. Um, and I really mean that. That sounded fake. I just caught, caught myself sounding fake. But well, the more you're justifying it, no, no. Uh, wait, wait. Case. Let me go back. Let me try. Okay, let me do sure, another sure. take. Take two. I have a big heart for them. Nope, still sounds good. 
But it's the Santa Claus model of God. So when we we're talk- losing light, Pete, we got to come on, buddy. Boo, boo! I just called you boo. That are you a Fallout fan, Mission Impossible? Oh, yeah, the, the, yeah. Have you heard the? Oh, in the movie, that no, ev- no. What, what? Every take, every time the camera's on T. Cruz, my my movie hero, T. Cruz, Tom Cruise. For those of you who don't know, Tom, yeah, yeah Thomas. <laughs> It was always, we have time for one take, we're losing light, we're about to go into like a huge penalty, and every take in the movie, for the most part, I understand, is like a, we gotta do it in one, and T. Cruz would fucking nail it and go, let's get tacos. He's a- <laughs> And you know he's paying for those tacos, because he is T. Cruz. Yeah. Anyway, so that made me think of that. So uh, the old model of God is like um, based on a lot of things. It's based on a little bit on Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like the God that I was raised as. So sure. I'll just speak personally. So it's like a wish fulfillment God. Right. So Santa Claus is somewhere else, somewhere. He, he's even old. He's got a beard. Yeah. It's from two places. There's the Greek idea of Zeus mm-hmm. that we're still holding on to. I mean, most Christians a are still God. sort of thinking of the Well, we yes. And we have the father uh, image in Christianity, mm-hmm. obviously. But then we plopped him on a cloud with lightning bolts. Uh, that's that's Greek. Yeah. And even, you know, Jesus would have known about that stuff. When Jesus talks about hell, which he almost never does, he says Hades. He's like using... Right. He's he's saying Bioshock. He's <laughs> he's using the references. And some people are like, you know, I never knew about Hades except the parable. The reference was the back door. Jesus, for some reason, <laughs> Jesus liked Bioshock too. He was like, I know it's a little bit of a retelling of the first one, but he's I just... like being up in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't want to be in the depths. No. No. He spent three days there. He's just comfortable. That's a resurrection riff. So anyway, my my model, people that know me know that I've milked this divorce a lot. So this this, (laughs) this book is the last telling of the divorce. But it's a little bit more in-depth and a little bit more personal. And it's important to my story. I I grew up evangelical. I definitely had like an if-then relationship with God mm-hmm. for the coders out there. If I'm good, then he'll <laughs> then you be get nice these things. And he'll protect me. And then my, my I got married when I was 22 to the first woman I read sex with. Every all of this is familiar to people that know crashing or have listened to me talk yeah. in any forum for right. over 12 minutes. <laughs> I'm be like, and my wife left me. I think his wife left him. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened and that really broke the model that I had for God. It it was like, "Oh, I've said this before, forgive me, but it was like I thought of God as like the mafia. And if you paid protection money to him with prayer and good behavior, like I said, I didn't say fuck. I didn't have sex. I tried really hard not to masturbate. I didn't do drugs. I didn't um, drink. I didn't do anything. It's just like a good sweet boy playing bass in the worship team and really (laughs) like trying to spread the gospel as much as I could without being too awkward. Right. It's weird when you're 15 and you're like, can I tell you about Jesus? Right. But I tried without losing too many friends. Still a little weird when you're 35, too. <clears throat> Dude, it's never not weird. But that was my faith. Was I was going around trying to turn you into me. Right. Which is a terrible and horrible view of God, in my opinion. It's a horrible way to live, is to go around burdened that, like, with the thought that if you don't think the thoughts that I think and rethink them over and over, and we call those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just thought patterns that you check every once in a while. I used to believe that when you died, God would crack open your skull and scan it like a UPC and see not only did you believe in him, but, but did, did you believe in him well? And right. did you believe in him correctly? And then you'd go to hell based on that. So, But then when my wife left me, that was like the best thing that could happen. And then I lost my faith and that was the best thing that could happen. And this is the paradox of, of what I would call 
I don't want to say real spirituality, but for brevity, I'll just say real spirituality. My my authentic spirituality came from two things happening to me that I never would have wanted to happen. And on the other side of them is where I was able to reconstruct. Because mm-hmm. we have plenty of people, especially comedians, that are deconstructing. Right. And I love deconstructing. It's very stupid to say everything happens for a reason, for example. It's very stupid to say that... You know, if I was born in India, I wouldn't be a Hindu. Of course I would be. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And if I was born thousands of years ago, I would be worshipping fucking Blue Apron with the other other Neanderthals. (laughs) They're getting a lot of plugs this podcast. They sure are. But what I'm saying is it's it's a waste of packaging. We have to balance that. We can't can't be too... It's a waste of packaging, but delicious... The sky is God's Blue Apron. (laughs) Isn't it, though? The sky is God. But oh, someone should write that down in a thick black book. <laughs> I, I'm enjoying this. Anne Lamont comes in. I hate it. Um, <laughs> weird forced callback. So anyway, uh, I am not interested in deconstruction. A lot of people get stuck in deconstruction. They want to talk about that, like the Bible contradicts itself, and it does, and that like nothing was written about Jesus until like 75 to 100 years after his death which is true you know like great okay fine Let, let's let's blast some nirvana and light it all on fire and that feels really nice one of the problems is that i found in my own personal life i can't i'm not a i can't speak for all of culture but for me i felt that there was a lack in my human experience for some sort of vocabulary to grapple with big questions through stories and symbols not just ideas and lectures but like things that can help me participate with it let's just call it infinity Sure. Let's just call it infinity. Sure. Or the mystery. Because it's so grand, we can't quantify it anyway, so it might as well be. I say it in the book, we're dogs trying to understand the internet. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay. And and science is on the same team. This is all the same team. Science is, I write in the book, I say science is trying to photograph it. The mystic is trying to feel it. These are different ways of playing with it. You know, like, on one, we want to reproduce it and rebuild it and put it in a thing and and prove it, right? And that's wonderful. It's why I'm vaccinated. It's why I got directions on my phone that got me to this beautiful studio, all that stuff. But but the the here and now-ness is sort of lost in that method. That's very head. There's a a heart method, too, that can kind of bring you peace is Mm -hmm. really what I'm talking about. Right. I don't want to get people believing a system of thoughts that I've articulated in the book. I want people to be free, and I want them to experience peace. Peace is kind of letting go a bit. For sure. There's definitely a little bit of a letting go thing. But I also believe in one of the things that, that you had said about, oh, you know, this flawed idea of everything happens for a reason. I think there is a way that um, to believe that everything happens for the best reason. If you can accept that, not from a cosmic point of view, like, oh, the universe is going to look out for you no matter what. But from the idea of your own sense of subconscious choices or conscious choices, if you are able to look at everything that happens as somehow to your benefit, you oh, I agree with you that. will you will through your choices and your perception manifest a better life because you are what's lo- non-resistant. You are looking for those. You are looking for the answers to yep. that question, and you can find a lot of them through perspective shift. So it's not like a mystical, magical mystery tour. Um, it's it's la la la. It's just in the idea that it's how you interpret. It's the how data. you interpret it because. Yeah. If you interpret everything as bad, you will make choices that kind of manifest negativity. And if you look, and I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do, but if you look at things as beneficial to you, even even if they feel awful, you will begin to kind of see that in the same way that if I say, "Hey, Pete, 
for the rest of the day, just think about the color blue. You will see the color blue everywhere totally. because that's what you're trained to recognize. That's absolutely right. You're, you're kind of tuning your instruments. You're tuning one your way instruments one way or the other. But you made me realize when you were talking that when we say in the West everything happens for a reason, one of the things at play there is is wise, which is non-resistance, which is really what a lot of my book is about. It's a, it's a very deep – it's not a very deep, but it's like a long – lasting Buddhist idea, Buddhist teaching is non-resistance. And people talk about the way to get rid of pain in your life, physical and circumstantial, is non-resistance. Right. It's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, my mom was just in town. It was very difficult for me. <laughs> but what I try to do is is say this too. You know, I say yes, thank you to this. Even though we're at a dinner that we're not enjoying while we're planning the breakfast for tomorrow that we can not enjoy tomorrow. <laughs> like, well, but there's also like if you can if you can get something out of an experience, then it then it that sort of helps release some of the the resistance because see, I, I hear that and that's all super uh, practical. The book is a little bit weirder than that. If you wanted to get into like how I look at something like everything happens for a reason. Yeah, I would love to. Okay, so there's two levels to look at everything. And this is my book is a lot about soul consciousness. It's called or, Comedy Sex Guy. It's called Comedy way. Sex Guy. And I just want to read the John Mulaney quote <laughs> on the cover. Pete Holmes is like the Buddha if the Buddha Googled himself. Isn't that great? <laughs> it's a perfect Sometimes you get a, a blurb so good it goes on the cover. <laughs> You're like, that's too good. Pete Holmes is like the Buddha. Pete Holmes. He's like the Buddha. If the Buddha Googled himself. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't right. Wasn't right today. Uh, in the audiobook, I do full Mulaney for every time. Did you go full Mulaney? Out. Yeah, I, I do it, it, uh, an impression of Mulaney. He's the only one that I do the impression of. Everybody else is just my voice. Just your voice. But well, Mulaney gets, you got to do Mulaney and Mulaney. Got, yeah, you got to Mulaney the Mulaney. So what is your what Okay, is so your approach? The, the idea of the book is, is, again, it's not to get everyone to agree with me. It's a way of looking at your life from a soul perspective. I understand that soul kind of rubs people the wrong way. What I'm talking about is the phenomenon that's looking out your eyes right now is who you really are. Mm -hmm. Okay, so science would call that just your pure base consciousness. I see that in my baby. It's this. It's the spark of being, mm -hmm. of I amness, that a meat puppet grew around. What happens, though, is we get a story from our culture, from our parents. People start projecting things onto you. You start to have certain skills, certain personality. And we sort of start to forget that who we really are is the thing that's observing those things. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So, like, you're a, a white male and you're funny and you start going, like, oh, I'm Chris Hardwick. But Chris Hardwick is a story. Yeah. And, and even your anxiety is a story. But there's something inside of you that's kind of the control center that's going, I'm noticing my personality. I'm noticing my anxiety. And it's sort of undisturbed by the changing circumstances mm -hmm. of your life. So we can call that the soul, or we can call that awareness. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> so when we say everything happens for a reason, I'll start with this one, actually, because the second one's a little bit trippier. Jesus said, love your, love your neighbor. Everybody knows that he said, it's the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself. As a Christian growing up, I always took that to mean that we had to like everybody, right? Like even people that we really hated, we had to like find a reason to love them. <laughs> what if you hate yourself? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, mean, if you hate yourself, that's a whole other thing. Because well, the second word is as yourself. Love right. your neighbor as yourself. So you have to love yourself. You have to love first. yourself first. So what are we loving, though, especially with yourself? It can be hard to love yourself if you're going through like... Maybe you just feel shitty or whatever, or you you blew some big opportunity and you're feeling down on yourself. What is the part of you that had nothing to do with any of that? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? What is the non-circumstantial, the unborn, unchanging awareness that is just observing the story of Chris or mm -hmm. the story of Pete? So when we say – Jesus didn't say like your neighbor, but we took it as like your neighbor because that's all we really know how to do in my church was like like people. That's mm -hmm. what love was. We were like be nice. Right. Be like sweet. It sounds like – Facebook. <laughs> I mean, it like almost phony baloney. Well, just that sort of like, 
like, like, like, like, like, yeah. without really, yeah, without you really someone... thinking about the substance of it. It's like we we sort of take the superficial quality of it, and that's where we get the validation. Okay, well, it's a that's right. This person likes, or I like, you know. When you're what does watching that really mean? What's the else, substance of that? And when you... I catch myself going like, oh, that photo I posted got a thousand likes. I'm like, picture where they were right when they saw that. Right. Or if you write a joke on Twitter and uh, ten thousand people like it, you're like, picture those ten thousand people. Some most of them were shitting. <laughs> Most of them were scrolling onto the next joke. Like it's not real love. Right. It's nothing. And your church? Do you? Do you, is that the sense that you got with the church that you were with? Of like kind love, of. love every, like everyone. It's more like it's when I, I say I have a big heart for this group. It's because I I am that group. I was that group. So like it's more that I feel sympathy. Meaning we didn't get. I didn't feel like we got the big teaching on what love really is. What what saying yes to somebody really is. So left to our own devices. We took it to the Western model and meant like, well, it must be be sweet, be nice, be mm-hmm. kind. Being sweet, being nice, being kind are great things, by the way. But the word nice is nowhere in the New Testament, as Richard Rory taught me. It's no, it's not the point. We're talking about an inner transformation that happens that usually results in nice behavior. But what we do is we act nice to like sort of represent that the inner transformation has happened. But nobody's really interested in the inner transformation as long as you can kind of look like you have it. Mm-hmm. It's like having Tesla keys, but you don't have a Tesla. Right. Or white ear, ear buds, but you don't have a whatever, the fancy phone. Right. Who cares? Like really do it. Don't, don't just act like you have it. So anyway, there would be people in our church, some bitch named Kathy who sucks. <laughs> And, and she sucks. Like, she's just a, a horrible person. Eckhart Tolle would say she's just a pain body. She just goes around echoing her pain onto you so you feel pain so she feels alive. So you just don't like her. Right. And that's okay. But we would go around and be like, man, Kathy, she's a handful. Yeah. Which is church code for she's a bitch. And then we'd be like, but great vocabulary. You got to find something nice to say. Right? But what we're talking about in the book and what I learned from Ramdas and these other teachers is you're talking about soul love. You're loving... Not their personality, not the patterns of their brain, not their one-woman show or their close-talking halitosis. You're you're free to be honest and not like that stuff and say, I can't make it on Saturday, even though your show about your cat sounds really great. (laughs) You're you're free to be honest. You don't have to be phony-holy. What you can do behind your very surface and pretty inconsequential Latin, like you don't like what she's doing, you can love that she's another one of you, mm-hmm. that she's sharing in the same awareness that you and I are sharing in. And she, her meat puppet grew around that awareness and developed a pretty annoying personality. But I'm going to choose to look a little bit deeper and love her on that level, even though I might not want to like go to Golden Corral with her. <laughs> Although if the inner transformation happens, maybe you will. I'm not saying you, you won't be nice, but you'll do it in a different way. You, you won't do it because you ought to be good. You'll do it because it's hilarious that this is the universe being an annoying bitch. But how does that, <laughs> how does that express itself? Like if you say like, well, I don't really like someone or I don't like some of their qualities, but I still love them as a being that this shared consciousness. What is that? How does that, Express like what does that really mean in practical application? It doesn't have to mean anything. What what we're talking like it doesn't have to become practical. What we're what we're looking for is a quality of your consciousness, a spaciousness, right? 
that's the best way that I can describe it, where, where you're not even resisting the world. So what we do in the West with love is, is if we love somebody, and this is straight Ram Dass, we want to collect them, right? Mm-hmm. You, if you love somebody, if you connect with somebody on a soul level, you want to you keep them around, right? right? But he's like, at a certain point, you, you lay that down and you can just be in love with all of it. Did you know that the idea of being like a, a celibate uh, priest or a pastor wasn't because sex was bad? It's because deeply spiritual people are supposed to be communing and having an exchange, you could call it intercourse, with every fucking thing? That you're supposed to be in rapture with flowers and the sky and everyone you see on the street? It wasn't about saving and restricting your love. It was about, I'm married to Christ, and Christ is a word for everything. It's not his last name. It's fucking everything. <laughs> Everything. When the Big Bang erupted, that was one of the words we use in the church for that is Christ. That was Christ. Energy. I thought a lot of it had to do with it so that um, the church didn't lose property to wi- to widows. I'm, I'm not here to defend the church. <laughs> I mean, fuck, there's so many things. So this system is not what I'm here to save. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to save anything. You can do anything. Like, sure, I'm sure, really sure. like, anybody can do anything. When we start... Coming from a soul place, that's where pe- going back to the peace thing. That big, the big bang, that big bang idea of it being everywhere is it the same kind of thing? Peace, yeah. Uh, peace to me can't. It's another one of those two leveled things. So I can love you on an e- on an ego level, on the story level, and I do. Chris, there's Chris. I love Chris. He's great. We have similar interests. We have that love, right? right. Then there's the soul love, which is very impersonal. It's not very satisfying. I'm just like, I love, like my mom hates it because she can feel me loving her as a soul. And she really wants me to like love her even more as, as a personality, which of course I do. But she, the ego wants that personalized, customized, customize, customizable love that's, that is a better story for it to hold on to. But um, peace comes from, if you're looking for me, the ego can't have peace. It just can't. You can maybe have it for five minutes. You know what I mean? I, I've been telling the story while I've been touring with the book is that I was on the beach uh, in Maui and I was eating ice cream. And I was like, this is it. You're eating ice cream on the beach. Right? That's kind of as good as it gets. That's yeah. what we've been told. And it was good. But what happens, and this is straight Ram Dass, he's like, you finish the ice cream, you want water. You drink the water, you need to pee. You pee, now it's lunchtime. I had, I had the ice cream before lunch. And then... And then <laughs> Then you eat lunch, then you're a little bit logy, so you have some coffee, and then you're bored, and then you watch TV, and it's 2019, so you watch seven hours of TV, and then you're tired, and you go to bed, and then you wake up, and you're groggy, so you have more coffee, and then you're a little bit, you know, behind the eight ball, so you take a shower. Like, it's this never-ending, like, happiness and peace and contentment is always one click away. You're always thinking about it. You're very seldomly experiencing it. But we have this sort of weird idea about, I've actually just kind of addressed this on the podcast a couple weeks ago, the idea of... Happiness not being a thing to chase after like a drug. What's stupid? Because it's not like a... I think we just think of this idea of like, oh, it's sort of like that one Star Trek movie. It's like, oh, I'll, if I can get into that ribbon of a nexus, then everything's just going to be that's great right. forever. And it's like, well, that's not... That's a flawed idea because it's not... It's not about a doing of a thing. It's about just a... Enjoying what you're doing. Enjoying what you're doing. Saying yes to what is. Yes. This is all of spirituality. is is melting into... Your, your suffering is coming from your resistance to what is. So when you can melt into it. But it's also straight just brain science. If this is too woo-woo for anybody listening, happiness is a, is a fool's errand. The old game for the 2GS, fool's errand. <laughs> it's a fool's errand. I'm trying to keep it nerdy. Um, is the idea that, like, 
your brain is basically trying to train the animal. So you go for a jog and it gives you endorphins. It gives you dopamine, right? Mm -hmm. It reinforces the behavior because it was good for the heart and the body and it's going to keep us alive. Same with ice cream. I'm eating a high-calorie fat food when we were hunter-gatherers. very hard to find. So I'm eating that and goes, eat more of that. This will keep us alive. This will give us fat and sugar cells to live off of for, for weeks, probably. A modern ice cream cone. Until Blue Apron comes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always just giving you these little – it is a drug, these little hits – it's the same thing we're getting when we see the likes or the comments on our Instagram. We're, yeah. we're dopamine addicts where we're getting a little bit of a... Yeah, and I, and I think we confuse... I think we confuse the idea of happiness with, like, joy or a high. But I, I think, you know, the older I get, I feel like happiness is really more analogous to peace or the absence of resistance or the absence of... Well, we're talking of, about the same thing. Yeah, the absence of negativity or the absence of... So that it's not like a, oh, I feel happy because you'll keep chasing that high Dude. as opposed to just feeling like, I just feel okay. Nothing's bothering me right now. This is where right you now. get into like, again, it's not very satisfying to the Western mind, but like peace being it, being behind surrender is like a very tricky place to put it. Yeah. So like, <laughs> you know, my, my the, like the guy who's been my fitness trainer for 15 years. When are you guys going to start? <laughs> just a good burn. It's just a good burn. You're yeah, very yeah. healthy, yeah, but no, it's, it's just like good, no matter what. To. It's right there on the table. No matter what. I accept that. When are you going to start? No, I a thousand percent accept that. Here's another one. But, Take two. Okay. Wow. Imagine if you didn't work out. <laughs> this guy's a professional two trainer? Two <laughs> yeah, that's good. No, but you know what? What's he riding the rails with? What's you? that? <laughs> So he like comes over and tells you to do stuff. Um, but, um, but, you know, he says, listen, materially, I, he's in his early 50s and he says, materially, his name's Tom, he's a great guy, very spiritual. He says, materially, I have less than I've ever had in my life and I'm the happiest and most peaceful I've ever been. Yeah. I have myself. I have my dog. We go to the beach. Well, if you want to get into the, the big truth, I'm happy to do that. But it's not about, and, and I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think that is to say like, sell all your shit and move to the beach. I just think it means that all of the material world is very fluid and can you just be okay with yourself? What we're looking for is, I love these words, is a non-circumstantial contentment. Yes, yes, yes. You're, yes, you're, you're not seeking happiness in external, in an external but locus. What, what are you happy about? And this is, Again, I just failed with my mother, so I'm I'm still in the process. You know what I mean? I don't have it figured out. Everyone's of course, always a of course. Ramdas says, "If you think you're enlightened, go visit your family." And I mean, that's <laughs> that's a great joke, and it's completely true. And I was with Valerie, and, and she's down with the oneness too. And I was just like, I don't know, I'm failing. And she's like, I think you're doing great. Anywho's a woozle. She just left this morning. <laughs> well, we're talking. Oh, your mom did. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant Valerie. No, no. Anyway, no. she just left me no, this morning. She's gone. <laughs> okay. Um, no, it's, so a non-circumstantial happiness is to trip out and tap into, uh, the joy of just being, mm -hmm. of just being alive. So that's the big truth. One of the weirdest things, and for some reason you have to hear it a million times, maybe, maybe literally you have to hear it 10,000 times, like Malcolm Gladwell. You have to hear this idea 10,000 times before you finally start to get it. But St. Francis said, what you're looking for, God, the mystery is what you're looking with. Okay, this is the big truth. It's it's that with which you're looking is what you're looking for. So every myth, 
every story that it was in your pocket the whole time. Right. Or Eckhart Tolle tells a story about the beggar sitting on the box and he's asking for change. Someone says, what's in the box? And he says, you know, I never looked. Then he looks and it's filled with gold. All of these stories that we've had for thousands of years of like, it's here, it's here. There it's must here. be something to it if people keep going back to well, it. Well, what is isness? What is being? What is the principle? Science would call it consciousness. We're looking for it. I mean, they're looking for the theory of It's a comfort level. I think it's a comfort level and again, a peacefulness with yourself because when you're young, you don't know who you are yet. And so you try to establish that identity by filling it with different things that you do try. Whatever, and then the, drinking, the second half of your life should be about letting go. Of letting things. go of all those things and going, oh, that's not that important. And if people like whether or not people like me is not that that's doesn't it. make me a better or worse person. So Jesus said, uh, or, you know, it's in the Gospels and it doesn't matter if he literally said it. But it's, it's, <laughs> I find it very valuable. He says, lest you be converted and become as little children, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is is the eternal now, right? We all are dipping into the eternal now all the time sometimes it's through sex or music or a great joke or whatever it is we we know what we're talking about so i'm not saying something somewhere else just for a special group Mm -hmm. it's the it's that feeling you get when you're the needle is right on the record and you are in the moment so he's saying become like little children and little children just just that just what you're saying they don't know who they are yet which is why before we're 30 we're spending most of our time yelling and proclaiming and figuring out who we are this is my sports team Mm -hmm. this is my these are my comic books this is my doctor who whatever it is they're all equal it's all fine so we're kind of designing our avatars so after 30 if we're lucky we wake up or realize or hear the spiritual message which is as buddha would say all of that's on fire what remains Mm -hmm. who dies what doesn't die and i'm not talking about going to some like forever paradise club later i'm talking about like what is the mechanism that you are employing to be alive. So when, when Moses asked God, people think this is a new agey idea, but it's as old, it's in the Old Testament. Moses asked God, what's your name? God says, my name is I am. I am that I am. When I was a kid. So he's Popeye. Exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. God said, I am what I, I am. I am what I am. He says, I am that I am. <laughs> Get it right, Chris. Sorry. But he goes, he, I thought that was God being cheeky like a mobster being like, eh, my name is my name. Don't worry about yeah. it. Like, you don't need to worry about it. Keep moving. He's saying in the story that a man wrote, a human being wrote, but it was our first metaphor for the idea of isness, of thisness. I am, I amness. I am the quality of being. A pure presence. Just the quality of being that you are a part of, that you are in the unfolding flow of emness. That's why I like to say you're not loved by God. You don't have to earn God's love. You are God's love. You are. Alan Watts says you're not a visitor here. You know what I'm saying? You didn't come into the world. You came out of the world it's, like an apple on a you know, tree. It's, it's, it's for people who are um, agnostic or atheist or sort of bristle at the idea like when they hear the word the Bible because it had, there's so much. Yeah. That's connected to it that, you know, just misinterpretation is sort of like what you said, the kind of arrogance of like, you have to believe what I believe or you're wrong. It's done as much bad as good. But what's interesting about it is that, and I think there's more, I think there's a version of the Bible or maybe the New Testament without all the oogity boogity hocus pocus stuff. That's just the philosophy stripped away, which is really, if you look at some of it, it's just a philosophical guide of like, you know, these are sort of some truisms that help people navigate the world. And you take away that layer of like, and then a guy in a cloud and then you I, strike. I don't really agree with you. 
You're talking about the deists. It was the founders of this country made a version of the New Testament that had no miracles in it. Right. And um, I understand that because we were so hyper-rational at that time. Right. And and that's a beautiful phase of time. Maybe we're still in it that we were going through. We were like, it needs to withstand the scientific method. So you have four Gospels, and then you'd be like, well, this this saying of Jesus is only in these two, and this one's older than that one. So we're applying Western logic to it. And then we're also removing things like walking on water, virgin births, all these things mm-hmm. that are like irrational right Right. but here's the fucking pickle dude is faith is like a pregnant virgin and you need to remember that (laughs) it's a paradox you'll never fully have it so these stories that don't quite make sense a man that's fully god 100 percent god and 100 percent man that's it's almost like a zen koan it's just more it's it's more the teaching stuff though because i do think that there are you know there are definitely through lines in all religions and, and and most philosophies that kind of distill down to some of the same few basic principles about life, whether it's, you know, Christianity or Stoicism or Buddhism or whatever it is that, you know, but sometimes the religious aspect can scare people away. But it doesn't mean that there aren't valuable philosophies to, to, to extrapolate from totally. that and still apply. So I, I think that's what, what I mean more than the sort of the deist idea. I hear what you're saying. And you're right. I, but I've you think it's inextricably linked to the, to the faithness. I think it's supposed to give you that funny middle of the road feeling where you're like, what? I can't quite get this. <laughs> it's always because just out of grasp. It's supposed to be transrational. It's not irrational and it's not rational. It's transrational. It's beyond the concept of true or false. But you're helping me remember that I'm so used to doing these talks and talking to my podcast audience that sort of know these ideas um, that I need to be careful because you're absolutely right. People recoil at this. So when I'm talking about God or or even one of the reasons I enjoy looking at the Bible still is because I have a, a grasp on myth and metaphor and that came from Joseph Campbell. So these stories aren't true, literally true or not literally true. They're a third thing that we call a myth. Myths... Uh, Richard Rohr says, myth is always true and sometimes really happened, mm-hmm. right? And that's a good way to look at it. So when I'm saying virgin birth, whether or not that actually happened is so irrelevant to me. These stories are supposed to yank us past our thinking minds. What we want, though, a lot of us, I think, is what we want is we want to know. We want to know. And we want to know that we know. We want to know that we know correctly. But anybody that's taken... LSD or whatever. You're back, dogs, trying to understand the internet. You're just like, there's no way to fully harness an idea as big as an well, we Because we... That's, stories are as close as we can get. In the back of our heads, our brains know that we are mortal and there's an end point. And when we're young, we don't think about that because our brains aren't necessarily fully wired yet. And it feels like there's an endless infinity of time before us. And then we start to realize there is not. And so we grapple with this idea of mortality and we fear... You know, like, we just want to be as safe and protected as possible. So we surround ourselves with all these things that give us a false sense of security to try to make us feel like we're okay and that we have control of the universe. You know, we have some right. tendencies that are a little obsessive compulsive because we feel like if I perform these series of rituals, I somehow have some sort of control over the external world, which right. provides me with safety. But humanity also, like, in order to grow, we need to be a little unsafe. We need to feel a little uncomfortable to grow. And so there is this dichotomy to the very essence of what it means to be human that I think fucks fucks us up because we're never one or the – it's never really one or the other. When we feel too safe, then we start to go crazy. And so – you know, it. It. I think a lot of it does just come from the idea of just wanting to feel a sense of control because we want to feel safe. We, in, in as much as we can be safe in these temporary, 
meat suits, right. like you said. Right. You know. Well, that's again, that's the paradox of spirituality too. Is once you give away all of that safety hoarding, you can have all the safety you ever wanted. Right. And once you give away all that power, you can have all the power that you ever wanted. I'm not talking about literally shooting lightning bolts from our fingertips. That's another good metaphor. <laughs> oh, Jimmy Carr told me a great quote, and I don't remember where it came from, but he, but the quote was, um, "Not wanting something is the same as having it." So that because you because you're oh, essentially you've that's released, I love like that. when you have something, you you've released your need for it because that's you have it, good. and when you don't want something, you've released your need for it. Yeah. So essentially, transitively. It's, you know, A equals B equals C equals C kind of a situation yeah, because yeah. You, you don't have I know have the transitive property. Okay, I didn't know. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, that's totally right. So Buddha talking about life is suffering, right? So we talk about life is suffering because you realize it's ending. But he says that not having what you want is suffering. He goes, having what you don't want is suffering. Maybe a too long visit, too many meals mm-hmm. with your parents. <laughs> yep. That's suffering. But also getting what you want is suffering. Because on some level, and this is what you're talking about, you know that it's going to go away. Right. Because it's on fire. And also, once you have something that you want, fucks with your brain, because then you get protective. You don't want to lose it. Totally. You get, suspe- you know, it's like you... you start to think it's you. Yeah. And then, <laughs> or you might think you don't deserve it. And so yeah. there's a lot of weird... It's all stories. It's a lot of weird responsibilities that come with it. So when you... You know, all those years ago when you had your TBS show and the show went away, but then crashing was right around the corner, which I would imagine was probably so much more fulfilling of an experience to you because it was so much more autobiographical and and you're making this really great narrative show with all these great people. And it's, you know, and it's so much a piece of you. We talked about this, I think, one of the last times you were on the podcast a few years ago, which was like, yeah, something happened that maybe didn't feel great, but it ultimately led to something that was even greater. Right. And so, you know, if you went through any stress, was it worth it to go through that stress? Was it necessary? Stress necessary as part of the process or as part of our superstitious ritual that we have to go through? Or if you had just released all of that, would it have been the same? And then crashing would have been right around the corner. You know, again... There's nothing wrong with anything that we're doing. Like, I kind of, meaning playing the game. Like, when we talk about spiritual ideas, it's really fun. And we talk about non-attachment, it's really fun. We're also in the world, and we're also playing the game. Right. I, I, I was writing about it for a new book idea I have, and it's kind of about how pop culture has, like, hidden mystical ideas. In them. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Indiana Jones. And I'm yep. like, it's interesting, Indiana Jones wants to steal the idol, and he wants to take it to a museum where it counts. Mm-hmm. And so many of us, we have great thoughts, but then we want to write it down and say it to an audience where it counts. We want to do it on late night where it counts. We want to film it where it counts. But even apart from comedians, we all want to have like our thing uh, validated. We want the seal of approval. We want it to be published. We want it to be displayed or shown or celebrated or, or, or just heard. Yeah. It doesn't count if you just thought it. So on one hand, you can say, Indiana. Fucking relax, buddy. The idol is beautiful in the temple. It's it's that's where it's supposed to be. It was a temple built for it. Is it not still a, a magical, mystical thing? If a, a ten thousand people a day that's are right. looking at it, does that really, really think about that? We're floating on a space rock, and you believe that it's more important that lots of these humanoids put their peepers on that thing like that's a fucking weird story but but i get it it's generous but it's also but that's sort of the that's sort of the fun ironic twist where the movie sort of gives itself the middle finger at the end when they when they put the ark in a crate and that's just that's right so it's essentially because that's what where god is he's in a crate somewhere (laughs) but but essentially you can't have it the ark made a lateral move it was buried somewhere 
and now it's buried again. And so all of because that... Because that's the nature of mystery. You know Senior Spielbergo is on, is on that. <laughs> you know, he understands what he's doing. The symbolism is not lost on us. Right, right, right. But here's the, the second point, because I think I'm answering your question. On one hand, we can say... Brother, it's all fine. We're all beautiful. Let's just walk around Haight-Ashbury barefoot and just be like, <laughs> let's just say yes to what is. That's yeah. what love is. Let's just say yes to what is. The idol is in a temple. If you want to see it, we got a seven-day hike. It's a little <laughs> bit dangerous. But Indiana is like an ego, and the ego wants to get it and be the good architect professor boy. How do you He also wants to protect it from the French archaeologist. You're right. Bellock. They really, that's airtight storytelling because they're like, it's not even selfishness. Yeah, he's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to protect it from the guy who's going to who's gonna do something even more selfish with it. Yeah, I suppose. I want to see the movie from that guy's perspective. <laughs> and he's trying to beat the evil American. <laughs> but anyway. I don't understand. I just want to, you know, France is beautiful. What's wrong? Oh, we have the Mona Lisa. We have the, uh, the Eiffel Tower. The stumpy fertility statue. <laughs> we have the catacombs. <laughs> we are love great love. Of art, appreciators of art. This is, uh, because this I wear a white suit, I must be evil. This asshole with a whip. <laughs> <laughs> Who brings a whip? What to is a whip? Uh, a whip. Who brings a whip? Who brings a whip? That's the that's, nah. ba- that's Belloc's autobiography. Uh, who brings <laughs> a whip? Dude. <laughs> Some premium reps today. Huh? I'm, I'm happy to see you. It's been so long. I'm happy long to see time. you. It's been a long time. Any hoozle. The other part is there's nothing wrong with stealing the ego, uh, stealing, playing the ego game, stealing the idol. That's where the boulders chase you. That's where the arrows or the blow darts hit your airplane. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like the game of spirit is just don't forget who you are. Don't, don't forget your zip code. Mm-hmm. Remember that you're just the thing witnessing the thing. That being said, so I'm going to step out of that because I kind of want to as well. When... Pete Holmes show was canceled, it lit a fire under me. This is very surface level. I'm not saying spiritually, oh, that was my karma and it was helping me identify as a soul. Let's put all that aside and just say like I felt frustrated that like I needed to do more. I wanted to do more. I loved shows like Girls and I was like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And the fact that like I was like, okay, something like Girls, that seems like a better life. <laughs> when you're doing a strip show, as you know – it it can be a little bit one. What's good about it is what's bad about it. Yeah, the world comes to you. That's why I haven't seen you. No more midnight. Like I, I yeah. used to come in and yeah. the world would come to you. Your friends would float in. That's the same with the it's a regular show. schedule, but it's also an oppressive schedule and a lot of responsibility. That's right. And you don't ever you don't always you don't really get those peaceful moments because when you are alone with yourself, your brain. It's like slamming on the brakes really fast. Right. So every thought hits the front of your skull yeah. and you're trying to sort through all the stuff and you're just – you're treading water yeah. the entire time. So it's it's very difficult to find peace because you're not ever just with yourself. That's right. And I, I think Conan and everybody would agree with, agree with that. They love it and there's this weird trappedness right. that can happen. So I was like, it seems to me that you're Lena Dunham's. They're shooting for two, three months. And then the rest of the year, you're on a, it seems like you're on a couch editing or writing. And right. I was like, that seems pretty good. Yeah. And it is. It was, um, it w- I think it was harder than, I, I have a bad memory. So I need Oren, uh, who has a good memory. Oren Brimmer's executive producer, directed a bunch of Crashing, did most of the Pete Holmes show, uh, was involved in most of it. Almost everything is what I'm saying. He was there for all of it, but he was involved in almost all of it. Um, but they were equally difficult, Let's at least equally, mm-hmm. and maybe more difficult because it was like there was so much more polish. With a, t- with a talk show, you're like, we have five more minutes on this episode. Uh, okay, let's take a couple well, cameras. Well, it's, it's and- basically a box of tissues. There's another one right around the corner. That's and right. so it can be 
messy because like no one's going to remember. It's all right. short. It's short term. That's what Conan said. He's memory like, consumption vo- because it's a volume business. Yeah, and that was a kind of a haunting thing to say, and also a liberating thing to Tomorrow, say. Tomorrow, someone going to remember that some dumb joke didn't land? No, because there's a million other jokes around the corner. He there's also goes, they're not going to remember if you redefine the wheel, you know, right. mean, or reinvent the wheel. Like you can have the best episode of your life, and he's like, the next day nobody noticed. You can have the worst episode of your life, and he's like, the next day nobody noticed. And it's a little bit Buddhist. He goes like, once you make peace with that. You can just have as much fun as possible while you're doing it. Right. That really is kind of like the point of life. (laughs) Well, I was always really impressed by the – because I thought this was an incredibly bold and very non kind of Hollywood choice. But, you know, if I'm understanding correctly when – you know, after Flight of the Concords, the second season of their show, you know, HBO and everyone was like – more. Season three. Yeah, and they said no, right? And they were like, no, because yeah. it didn't, like, the process was, completely took over their life. It's like their entire year was, right, 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 right shoot, 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 edit, edit, edit. I think it's um, Liz Gilbert that says, watch out turning what you love into your job, because it might ruin what you love. Well, and then, and for them, it was like, you know, and I'm sure they got offered a ton of money, and it was like, more fame, more this, bigger touring, whatever. And for them, it just, I think it just didn't sound joyful. Yeah. And so they just didn't do it. Right. And I don't know if that's a New Zealand thing right. or just innate to who they were. Right. And then, of course, they've both gone on to, you know, Brett won an Oscar for the fucking Muppet movie. And right, right. Jermaine is, was on Legion and he's been directing right. what we do in the shadows, which is I really think great. Somebody very kindly, I think it was my agent, Zach Drucker, said when Crashing got canceled i like to say not renewed but you know what i mean it was yeah people like canceled is a better word when it got canceled he was like look crashing did what it was going to do for you (laughs) right (laughs) it was like you could do four seasons you could do three seasons it doesn't really matter i felt that way when i sold a cartoon to the new yorker i got three in four in and then i was like that's it i can say i'm a new yorker cartoon (laughs) you know a therapist said to me once my apologies to the hardworking new yorker cartoonists (laughs) that do it week after week sorry to be a tourist no 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 but a therapist said to me once it's not about it's about the having, not the keeping. Yeah, you get to you get to have that experience. You get to have that experience of the seasons that you did of crashing. Right, but so if you don't do it forever, that still doesn't lessen. It doesn't mean it was a failure either. Yeah. And then you know, even if you are season four, five, six, seven, are you getting diminishing returns? Is it taking you away from new opportunities? Yeah. Is it is it has and your you know, growth stunted? As a creator, is it like was that going to be? I don't think so. By the way, we had the fourth season broken pretty much, and it was looking good and. Um, but it could have been the bad season. You know what I mean? No, it, every show is made by geniuses as far as I'm concerned. Like I worked on a, a show that was really panned called Outsourced. Mm-hmm. And it was NBC and people thought it was racist and weird. And I understand that it wasn't it wasn't great. Um, it was made by geniuses. You know what I'm saying? Like it was made by like 30 of the best writers, some of whom I still work with uh, whenever I can. And and the show isn't great. So what I'm saying is there's no way to fully protect yourself. The fourth season, you're always worried, is this going to be the season that right. people are like, well, you know, it kind of took a, a goofy left and I didn't like it. Whereas we – I've always admired like the Ben Stiller show. So the Pete Holmes show was a little bit like Ben Stiller. I, I was hoping that it got canceled before it became a thing, but people still enjoy it, which right. I love. And Crashing went away also a little bit prematurely. But I'm like, yeah, but we we did the showbiz thing. You leave wanting more. Well, that's the thing. Is what, you know, we did four seasons of At Midnight, four years of At Midnight, 600 episodes. I was going to say, that's different. That, I, that's, I say, say 600 episodes. <laughs> we did 24 episodes. And you know what's great? What, 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 what's great is that people still say, like, I miss At Midnight. And I like that because I... F- yes. Because I, I think we had gotten you don't to want it. You don't want this. Oh, it's the At Midnight guy. Ugh. Oh, 
points. Yeah, exactly. You don't want that. And and I miss that show. That's and so after four seasons, we just didn't know what else to do with it. And we're like, maybe this was just the moment that the show had. And you're absolutely right. When you, so I, I love dudes like Nick Offerman and, yeah. and the Flight of the Concords boys. And anybody that, it goes back to the drinking thing. Whose life are you living? Can you be the architect of your own life? So crashing goes away, right? Right. So I'm very, very tripped out on the idea that like opportunities kind of come. Like we, we are for so for twenty years we're pirates as comedians with knives between our teeth, <laughs> swinging from boat to boat, Assassin's Creed style, yes. just hoping hoping something sticks. And now, like I'm learning that you can say no to things. And and Valerie and I are, are both kind of like, well, what? Picture your life, Jermaine and and Brett. Brett, picture your life. Like, how do you want it to be? And they actually were like, we don't want it to be. At a young age, at a much younger age. It's crazy. Which is insane because Bad I feel ass. like it took me until my mid-40s to go, oh, um, I should probably make good life balance choices. Right. And working seven days a week is not necessarily Cause, cause one of those choices. Because this is it. And I would like to experience joy with my wife, whom I adore more than anything and want to spend time with and go away with and travel with. That's why and, there's so many comedians. I really do see us as a, as a people. And I have just like, you know, I'm not a, I don't identify as a Christian anymore, but those are like my people and comedians are, I have a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think everybody's my people. Yeah. But comedians are, are just definitely one of the subsects. And I'm like, when I drive around and I see too many billboards for one person, I'm like, do you have any old wise people in your life? Do you have anybody that goes like you're not you're not going to remember the nineteenth special, right? You know, but you're like your kid just called you Alan, and and your and your name is Hillary, right? You know right. what I mean? You like, got the gender wrong. And it's wrong yeah. on a number. Of, what yeah. I'm saying is like we need to, everybody, not just the fancy showbiz jerks like you and I that are kind of like. Oh, well, do I want this or that? We all need to make sure the choices we're making, we're making them. Like, don't give away your agency. But for good reasons, too. We're making making them for good reasons, and those reasons are like... Self-care and and mental health and fun. That's what Val and I have been saying is, like, it's not broken. Like, the life before crashing wasn't broken. Like, it's so funny. Like, now I'll have days like today where I have this... And I have a meeting for a cartoon that I'm going to pitch. So I'm still like going out and doing stuff. But I have this and that. And Val goes, do you remember that used to just be our life? Yeah. <laughs> she was like, our life used to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, would, and Sunday would be doing pretty much whatever we wanted, which was work. There was work involved, but it was very like by your own, on your own terms. And Friday, Saturday, you'd go on the road. That was life. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, it always changes, but also not bad. But also, um, you know, when we when we went to and, and this sort of folds into the this stoic idea, which I think isn't. I just, feel the stoicism coming off you. Yes. Did you have Ryan Holiday on? Yeah, I did. Isn't he the best? He's the best. Oh, wait, I listened to him on Nerdist. He's great. He because he did. Uh, you made it weird. And just plugging that what we're ta- if if all this God talk kind of makes you limp. Listen to Ryan Holiday well, on my Ryan, podcast because yeah, he'll take it and make it just like shut the fuck up, just do what you're doing. Well, that idea, that, 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 that <laughs> sort of do mo- what you do, that memento mori idea. I have it on my coin. Oh, you do. You've got the coin in your pocket. Have you have coin. it. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. I just did getting dug with high, and I showed it to him. And he was like, "I feel like you just put a curse on me because <laughs> it's literally a coin with, that Ryan gives to his guests. It's, it has a skull on it that says memento mori, and on the back it says you could leave life right now. Well, and so when we were in Italy about a month ago, a month and a half ago, you know, we went to see the crypt of the Capuchin monk. And I think I've been there. It, where, where there, it's like you go through those chambers. Go down? 
No, well, oh, you're, it's a catacomb I went to. No, this isn't a catacomb. This is in like a okay, you know, a churchy kind of a building, and and you, the, there's a is a crypt, and they have this like you know holy dirt which came from the Holy Land, and the Capuchin <laughs> monks basically you know between the I guess the 1600s and the and the mid to late 1800s, they uh, when they would die, they would just bury them in this dirt. And then they would essentially mummify, and then they would, and then after about thirty years or so, they would extract the bones and then decorate the crypts. And they, you know, it's like with the bones, with the bones. So wow. there's like, you know, there's a fucking arch of pelvises, and there's a skull that has scapula, like as wings, and it has all these, you know, and there's a circle. And this of- is where you fight the final boss, right? <laughs> Finish him, <laughs> and then you achieve enlightenment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, talk about a stationary parade. It's just that basically a stationary funny. parade of the dead. But there's a quote. <laughs> but there's a there's a quote on there. It's a permanently stationary parade. But there's a quote on there that says uh, it's something to the effect of, um, you know, where you are, we once were; where we are, you will be. Yeah. So it's just essentially like everything that we think is so important. Oh, I got to get to this appointment. Oh, fuck, I fucked that up. Oh, this joke didn't work. This thing, fuck. And it's fine. Those things can have importance. But I feel like we kind of elevate them to universal importance. It's like, well, nothing's really universal because in a hundred years, literally no one's going to remember right. that I did 600 episodes of a show. That's right. And that you well, did... That, you ever you, see that Johnny Carson thing where they're like, and these are the archives. And I'm like, no one cares. <laughs> no. And this is every lick of footage that Johnny ever did. Yeah. No one cares. I mean, some people do care very much, but those people are going to be dead. I mean, so it's, it's just, like... It's, if it's, it's not too, that you shouldn't care about things because ultimately everything but ends, is, but it's just like, just, it might as well... This is, run from the boulder. This is all spirituality. Don't forget who you really are. I understand that you can have sort of a nihilist approach and be like nihilism and Buddhism are very close to each other oh, <laughs> nihilism is just Buddhism without the concept of, of a spirit basically <laughs> that's, that's basically the difference between Super Mario and Bioshock it's like light colors and dark it's colors it's a huge difference but it's, it's one, on one hand we have everything doesn't matter we're all going to die who cares mm-hmm. and Buddhism has that but they're sort of like they're not as uh, woo woo with the use of the word soul but I, I, I sort of have a Hindu Buddhist Christian thing going on, so I can mix metaphors. <laughs> we might as well also enjoy it. I mean, it's like the time you're given; you should enjoy, you you should be able to. Enjoy. Well, that's something that Ramdas's uh, guru said. He said, "Enjoy everything, but even your suffering." Like, and that's a real trip. But so it's like, don't forget who you really are. You're not the thing. So I did this talk for Big Think, and it was about like anxiety. So this is something that I love to share as much as I can. Who is noticing the anxiety? So when you say, I am depressed or I am anxious, is the part of you that's noticing your anxiety anxious? Mm-hmm. And that is, that's who you really are. You're, you're the flashlight. I, sometimes I do it on stage. I go, like, feel your big toe. Like, go ahead, feel it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can feel it being sent down. Your awareness gets sent down to your toes. I understand that there is a biochemical reason that you kind of feel the, the nerve right. endings shooting down there. But we're also talking about a light looking at itself you want to you want to realize that you're not this you're the thing that's animated so you are not your anxiety that's right it is just a thing that is happening and it doesn't go away but you can give it space and you go there it is and the less you identify with it you can give it its space you can let it run its and it's also with anxiety too is all is all about projecting into the future and not being present that's right and 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 the idea you're telling yourself a story that you shouldn't be anxious yes as opposed to just being like there is anxiety and being able to say like no matter what happens i'll be fine you know or as someone else put it to me once um 
I think this was from was this from was this from Grand Budapest Hotel. There's some line about like um, it'll all be fi- it'll all work out fine in the end, and if it's not fine now, it's not the end. Yeah. You know, just this just the idea of like it, right. it's all you know this sort of we'll see approach to life like oh things might be crazy well we'll see oh it worked out now everything's great well we'll see you know right. with because you're just kind of being in that in the present moment rather than projecting forward which right. is where a lot of anxiety lives to try to control the future right it's interesting the next level of that is trying to see how i, I like to say you know my dad loves the story that my wife left me and then i made it into a tv show right that's everything happens for a reason on the ego level mm-hmm. and we love stories like that we're addicted to stories like that that's going like if it's when when I forget who said that if if it's not okay it's not the end thing I think they mean it in a bigger way in the big way because my wife could have left me and I could have been hit by a bus the mm-hmm. next day you know what I mean and there where's your meaning now where's your God now mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying if we can get into the idea that we're all Alan Watts would liken it to like awareness is all wearing different costumes and we're on stage and right now I'm pretending to be Pete the comedian and you're pretending to be Chris the podcast host and we're just going through the motions and some of us are villains and some of us are nice guys and some of us are children some of us are dogs but it's all one thing sort of playing this game and that is what arcs towards resolution not necessarily the small story of my life because I could very randomly be hit by an arrow and maybe that does lead to a foundation that prevents you know arrow attacks arrow (laughs) attacks it's by putting up almost like a Star Wars style net system that the arrows if they're right. coming in. Write that down. But what idea. I'm saying is like the, the the real equanimity, that's why it's so close to nihilism. You're like, it doesn't fucking matter. None of it matters. We're on a rock. Or you can be like, it's all one thing thinging itself. And every part of it, the sun shining on the, on the rock. It all matters. It all matters and it's all okay. It's hard to say that to, and I don't say that to people that are going through something. You know, let's mourn. Let's, let's feel pain. Let's be the universe feeling pain. Let's be the universe mourning. So we don't get into this space there. But when you've taken psychedelics or done some deep meditating or spent a good amount of time alone and silent, you can start to get the smile of the Buddha. You know, when you see a Buddha statue, he's got that little smile. He gets that it's one thing with the illusion of separateness. It's an undulating fountain of which you are not a visitor. It's not a holding room. It's not a test. Nobody's judging. You are a lawful expression of isness. And you're not at, you're not a visitor here. You're at home. Well, the pain a pa- the pain is a very valuable part of the story too because you can't you don't. It's sort of like when you if you if you if you fuck up your shoulder, you really appreciate when your shoulder stops hurting. Yeah. And you, otherwise, you're not really aware of your shoulder. It's like pain right. creates an awareness, and it. Well, that goes back to the bad stand-up set informs the good stand-up set. That's right. That's, that's right. That's the game we're playing. That's right. The salt, it, like it's in good food. The salty helps us appreciate the sweet, and that, and that's all that level, and that's running from the boulder and enjoying that. Right. Like, you know, when I look at that idol, I think about getting in the seaplane and the darts flying into the tail, and that gives it more meaning to me. You know, when you were talking about the holy dirt, I was like, all dirt is holy. But <laughs> if a story helps you realize that that dirt is holy, you know, I believe right. that. Like a somebody who took a pilgrimage to that church and touched that dirt from Jerusalem or wherever and feels it, that is just dirt. But if the story helps them unlock that all dirt is holy mm-hmm. and that when I'm talking to you, I am talking to God and Chris. And, and that's what namaste means. It doesn't mean class is over. It means <laughs> when I'm in the unchanging place in me and you're in the unchanging place in you, we're the same thing. I just thought it was something Matthew McConaughey would probably say to people hey, when he namaste. meets them. Hey, namaste. That's how he gets you to leave after, after a swift boning. 
He throws a breakfast burrito at you and goes, Namaste. But then if you don't understand, you're like, so you're going to stay? No, Namaste. The difference. So you don't know if you should leave or not because his accent kind of makes it sound like he's saying, no, I'm going to stay. Namaste. <laughs> Namaste. People around here call me mud. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be able to do a good Makane from True Detective. I wonder if I can do it. <clears throat> People out here, they don't even know the outside world. See, Mulaney and now <laughs> McConaughey. But only people whose last name start with M. <laughs> Might as well be living on the goddamn moon. <laughs> the third season of True D was good. I haven't, I haven't seen it's it. It's good. There's so much television. To I, I know, on. but I want to tell people that I feel like we all turned our back on old Nicky Potts. Nicky Pozzolino or whatever. Because, and he even admits that season two was kind of a stinger. It was a stinger. I think he says it was a stinger. <laughs> but season, season three, three is great. Back. It's season, great. Season three gets you back. They, do, they did... Uh, what is the Star Wars movie where they just did A New Hope again? Which one? What, what? Oh, you mean Force Awakens? Uh, Force Awakens. Yeah. That's basically what they do, but you love it. You, it's, you, like, they yeah. sort of reheat the same sort of eeriness of the first one. And you remember what But in a new it. way. Yeah. And then it ends in a way that makes you go like, oh, I have to watch some YouTube videos to see what that was. But that's a great idea, though, because if anything pulls you into the present, whatever story you need to navigate you to pull you into the present. The dirt thing? The dirt thing, yeah. Then it, yeah. Then it, then it is real to you even if it's not literally like this sand is but this dirt is more that's what rob bell says he's like moses took his sandals off when he saw the burning bush not because um that ground was holy but because he realized that all ground is holy and also you know the (laughs) idol the idol is valuable because it has a story and a mythology that that construct recognized i mean like you know like how many this is a dumb example but you know in marching toward the idol you could step on 15 ant hills that were sacred to those ants because that's that right. was their entire well, that's universe. Straight, that's straight Buddhism. And, and, uh, and, but your story doesn't involve that, so it's of no value to you. Some other civilization could come along and, you know, it's kind of like how. I, I love that example. I think what you're resisting is that it sounds like freshman year smoking dope. Right, right, right. But we should all be having, we sh- you shouldn't let go of that basic wonder. You don't have to share it at every party you're at. Most people don't want to hear it. But what you're talking about is like super deep and it's like it's like a good mushroom trip will take you to that place of like every day is ant 9-11. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not even trying to be funny. I know what you mean or, or disrespectful to 9-11. I'm just saying, wow, I just killed 3,000 or whatever, like a million and ants. And didn't even notice. And and we're telling stories that make meaning, and I'm all for those stories. By but the it's way. also like the perspective of the storyteller too. And even when you said like some people are villains, some people are children, that's all from the perspective of the person. Much in the same way that you know Belloc's story about the whip uh, is from <laughs> from his point of view. But that's right. But that's right. but it's you know I, I see it a lot. Like I I love history and I love like. Um, you know, old, old architecture. And so if I see like a really beautiful old house and someone's made it modern inside, it pisses me off because I feel mm. like the inside of that had value and history and you it just... belongs in a museum. Exactly. And to them, they just didn't see the value in that much in the same way that someone else might look at that idol and be like, ah, this thing's too yellow. And they just fucking toss it in a swamp because they don't give a shit. This story was important to those people, but that didn't right. make it a universal truth. Yeah. It just meant that their story was tethering them to, to that no, construct. Meaning, that, that's, that's my thing about run from the boulder, have the fun. I love meaning. I, I'm a meaning maker. Yeah. And I get a lot of joy. It's temporary joy, but I love it. And I chase it and I enjoy it. Like doing stand-up and making things and having a daughter now and, and, and making meaning is great. It's beautiful. It, you know what I'm saying? Like we don't have to go like, well, to the ants – 
that idol means nothing. It's just bullshit. It's all empty and vital. That's what I mean when I say it's a pregnant virgin. <laughs> we have to get comfortable with paradox. You have to be like, it's all nothing and it's all everything. That's the place. The mystic puts his mind in the middle or her mind in the middle. And that's where you get some really beautiful space inside. Well, what's because what's interesting about being in the middle of that is that it puts you in a place when you can accept the paradox, I, as I'm hearing you say it, you're not focusing on trying to control the result because your mind is sort of That's locked right. in this perfect balance of this puzzle that you can't solve. That's right. That's what a Zen koan is. And if a tree falls in the woods. That's a really interesting place to be because you can't, if you can't solve something, you can't really focus on anything else. You just accept that it That's is. Right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so the, the best sermon the Buddha ever gave was just holding up a flower. And all of it, the story goes that his disciples didn't get it except one disciple understood. Because the Buddha is holding up a flower and going like, this, this exists. And if you really trip out on that, or as the Christian call it, contemplate that or meditate on that or whatever it is. Here's the thing. This is another big point in the book is... We think about things. So we have consciousness with an object, right? And if you're always thinking about happiness or where happiness might be, you won't have it. Same with God. Same with art. Same with comedy. Same with music. Same with sex. Everything good and worthwhile isn't something we think about. But in the West, all we do is think about it. Well, how many people do you know that were ready to like they were chasing relationship chasing love chasing this and the second they were like ah fuck this i just don't care anymore i'm just gonna be myself and then they fucking that's meet right. the person that they end up yeah, spending that's you right know. that's good it's just the they sort just, of the they, releasing they trying and they start being they yeah they stop chasing and trying and 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 it's not the same as giving up per se it's just it's it's just that idea of like the false self it's it's giving up <laughs> it's giving up in the sense yeah it's giving up the false self but it's also releasing the idea that you need something to be enough and you're just basically saying like i'm enough that's right and once you're enough then i feel like and i don't think it's any mystical thing but but there's some kind of subliminal subconscious thing that just kind of attracts and you can't fake it. Yeah. But when you when you're enough and you feel good, then there is an attraction to that because of other course. one other people want to feel like of they're course. enough too. You're free. That's yeah. what, you're a free person. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. So anyway, I realized that like I was I would go to the museum to think about art. Somebody emailed me and it meant a lot to me on Instagram. They were like, I read your book and it helped me for the first time enjoy modern dance. And I was like, that's a good book. <laughs> if, if a book can help you realize that you're not supposed to think about dance. If you don't know what to think when you're looking at something, if you go to the botanical gardens and you're looking at flowers or you're looking at modern dance and you don't really know anything about modern dance or you're at the museum and you're looking at a painting and you don't even know the painter or if there's any story about the painting, you're just looking at a painting. Mm -hmm. The mantra that I use is, is yes, thank you. It, it, your brain wants to think something, so give it something to think. That's basically what mantras are. Right. You'd like something to think here. Fucking play. It's like giving an iPad <laughs> to a kid in the back seat so you can enjoy the ride. Right. So give your brain yes, thank you. It's a beautiful mantra. It doesn't have to be in Sanskrit. It doesn't have to be old. It's just yes, thank you. So you see three people dancing, and instead of going like, are they related? <laughs> How long did they rehearse? Where do, you, where do you even get outfits like that? Oh, he must be the bad guy. Just say yes, thank you over and over and over and over. And this is how we can get more out of one painting than going around and collecting the whole museum. Or one flower as opposed to going around and collecting or the whole Or straining so hard to feel like I have to find... I'm staring at... The, so like we, you know, when we were in Venice, um, they, uh, a couple, like six weeks ago... 
because it's the like 500th anniversary of Vitruvian Man, the, the, the Da Vinci sketch that basically was art, philosophy, and science kind of all mm. in one piece. Um, they put it; it was on display, and they only bring it out every seven years because it's 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 a sketch on paper and it's susceptible wow. to degradation. And so this kind of tube with an elevator like raises it up, and they brought it out a, a few <laughs> years early uh, ahead of schedule because it's the 500th anniversary. So we went to this museum thinking like it's going to be so crowded, we'll never get near it. There was barely anyone there. It's one of the most famous drawings <laughs> in the world, and you can get just a few inches from it, and we can't take pictures, but we're just staring at it. And I was, you know, it's not in glass. No, oh, no, uh, yeah, it's behind glass, but you right. can't. But you're but still you you can get inches from it and just yeah. stare at it. And you know, I was trying to have this moment of like, I've, I I I need to absorb uh, yeah. every molecule of this yeah. because I'll never see this again in person, probably. And it's it's so meaningful, and it's so. And, uh, I was straining, and then finally just had to let it go and be like, you know what? I'm here. It's here. I'm just going to sort of yeah. experience this and not try to force some mystical thing that happened and, you know. Just say yes to what is. Yeah. Maybe even your boredom or your lack of response. It's okay, but, like, we can shut the brain off. And shutting the brain off is where I found art appreciation. It's where I found dance appreciation. It's where I found nature appreciation. It's where I found better sex. It's where I found – and it's the only place I found God. Talking about God is great. But everything I'm saying, everything anybody's saying, is it's, it's all what they always say. It's the finger pointing to the moon. We just got to get that one side of your brain out of the way. So Here's you... something for it to think about while, I guess, the left side. Because your logic, the logical side of your brain needs to do. It needs, it's, it's, it's a machine. It's an engine. It needs Give to... Give the drunk monkey some, but, <laughs> some buttons to count. Basically, that's another Liz Gilbert. It's like, here's a pile of buttons. Now count it. And you know what? I like it because here's enough history and philosophy and and reason or whatever to like satiate you so I can sneak around you and get into that mysterious place that we'll never have words for. Terrence McKenna says reality isn't stranger than we suppose. It's stranger than we can suppose. Mm -hmm. And what I love about outer space and science fiction is that it helps us remember that like we're floating in infinity. We all agree on that. And that's sort of the, the basic just, I, Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. The go mystic ahead. just thinks that infinity deserves a metaphor for a story. Unfortunately, that metaphor, God, has been turned into certainty worship and clubs and... and oh, our, certainty worship. And this is our team. That's a great... That's a great phrase. And it's, become, and it's so succinct. It's exactly what it is. Certainty it's us worship. versus them. We're going to heaven. You're going to hell. And have you ever noticed it's always your group that's going to heaven? It's never like, well, 50%. <laughs> it's always you're, you're in and they're out. And that's what the ego does when it, get, when it discovers and uncovers exciting wisdom. Some people get it. Then other people run with it and turn it into a ball club. Well, us versus them allows us to put a hierarchy so we can sort of rate how well we're doing. It's another Indiana Jones. It's it another is. game. It's it another game to play. And I, I understand and I enjoyed playing that game. I enjoyed kind of being like, I'm going to heaven. I have a bit now. I don't know if I can do it in stand-up, but I'm like, whenever I see people in Koreatown with like bullhorns screaming that you're going to hell, mm-hmm. I'm like, good. Be as crazy as your beliefs. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? What I used to do is think, literally, Chris, I would be here. I'm talking 20 years ago, but I would have been talking to you and the whole time thinking you were going to hell. And that's fucking nuts. <laughs> be the person screaming. And that way we know who you are and we can avoid you. Right. You know what I mean? But like, don't be a fucking Patrick Bateman, American psycho that just goes to dinner with Chris and doesn't even try to get him to pledge allegiance to my God that will save you. Right. Because I think that was a hint that I don't really believe it. Even when I said I believed it, I don't think I really believed it. That's just me. Like, really push comes to shove. Like, I don't think that everybody that died in the Holocaust also went to hell afterwards. I just, I reject that. I don't think that's what's happening here. 
Right. But a lot of people do. And I hang out with my mom and I'm like, my mom may, might worry that I'm going to hell. You know what I mean? That's weird. Where's her bullhorn? <laughs> right. Well, she's close enough to you. That I don't you... think she thinks I'm going to hell. No, she probably doesn't think she does. She absolutely does. I was going to say something and it, I think it revolved. Oh, it's, it's one of the things that, you're, that we're sort of talking about is the sort of fundamental idea behind transcendental meditation, which is basically just transcending all of that That's right. conscious thought and being in this sort of oneness with just be being yeah exactly and to just get all the other shit out of the way that weighs you down and crowds you and is exhausting because all that like you know obviously rational conscious thought is good it helps us sort through the world it helps us kind of live it made this coffee it did but but it's and put it in a tiny adorable little can but (laughs) i'm a giant man so it looks even cuter (laughs) what is this wreck it ralph (laughs) can i have one too (laughs) oh no ralph no Uh, but it uh, here comes fix it feeling yeah you know it's like like yeah that's right you know the conscious mind is a, is, is wreck it Ralph just sort of uh, plund- Dude, plundering through everything I haven't been to your house but I picture a freestanding arcade cabinet of wreck it Ralph well there are freestanding arcade cabinets but I feel like I shouldn't even say this to you because I feel like you're not gonna <laughs> you won't rest you until know what's funny you have is you're gonna come to the house wreck it Ralph someday you'll come to our other house to the house we live in and you will see the full freestanding giant, like eight foot tall, tall Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh my god! Like so you're you, I you got know, it. You you were you were on the edge of the bullseye. <laughs> yeah, you were on the you're you're right on the edge. Keep going though. I'm but sorry. But just but just the idea of of um, you know, like all of our conscious thought is essentially like we're carrying weights around all day long. That's right. And our brains get tired, and I think a lot of anxiety Lay it down. A lot of anxiety comes from. Just fatigue, just mental fatigue, because we do. It's like you can carry all that shit around, but your brain has to process it at some point. And so when you know, I, I use meditation to try to relieve that or exercise or whatever. But this idea of just sort of tripping out on these paradox concepts can also kind of push some of that stuff out of the way. So I just think it's the responsibility. I feel like we have to think responsibly mm. and not. We don't have to take on everything all at once, even though for some reason we. Um, we kind of view that as honorable in our culture of like working ourselves to death of yeah. overthinking things means right. you're smarter in some way. And right, it's like, right. But does it really? Right. Or, or are you just... Um, well, that's... Ram does. He says your brain is a great servant but a terrible master. And that's, oh, that's, that's another... Great. That's all of spirit. You need to look at your brain as something... Eckhart Tolle also says 95% of your thoughts are repetitive and useless. And I completely agree with that. If you've ever watched your thoughts. And yeah. Belloc says, once again, we see there's nothing that you can possess that I cannot take away. <laughs> Dr. Jones. <laughs> and who brings a whip? <laughs> and who brings a whip? But when you meditate and you get into that place of pure being, which is what you're doing with transcendental meditation, you're transcending your ego and you're going into just the place of pure, like, 100% cacao, just <laughs> being. You lose the narrative, the story of separation. So death anxiety, all of these types of anxieties come from a feeling like it's you and then there's the world outside of you. But spirituality offers a piece of, of, that's why I say down with the oneness. Valerie, my wife, is down with the oneness. I'm down with the oneness. I've experienced the oneness. I experienced the oneness. And that's where you start to feel at home. When you when you feel like a dignified inherent and you're taking away the resistance even even the meditation process is about removing resistance and just and right. just being in a, in a flow state that and then chris goes away and yet you're still there right 
So who's that? That's that whatever that, um, you know, whatever that uh, performance state is, you know, where people are in the zone or whatever. It's just that yeah. everything else just kind of gets shoved out of the way. Yeah. And, and it's just pure presence. Which That's I really what it is. Which is why we do stand-up. It is stuff, pure, yeah. pure, pure presence. And stand-up is pure presence because... That's why Free Solo, I was like, oh, that guy can't shut his brain off except when he's climbing and might die. Right. That's how active this man's brain is. And what a, what a genius, obviously. But like... When he got to the top of that mountain, he doesn't go, woo, spoiler, it's not like that because he's in what the Taoists would call the Tao. He's in the flow. Right. He just was the universe climbing the mountain. Are you, are, are you doing any stand-up dates anytime? Or like you, are you doing a special I'm gonna, anytime soon? I'm going to get back out starting in September, I think. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah. The trick is, it's funny, I love being silly. We've been silly with Stationary Parade. I like, I like being, I'm summarizing. I like, I like being deep. We talked about soul consciousness and all that sort of stuff. And, and by, we, I didn't really finish my point about God being a metaphor, but God is a metaphor for a mystery that transcends all categories of human thought, including being and non-being. That's just a fancy way of saying, another quote, Barry Taylor, the road manager for ACDC said, God is the name, I know, God is the name of the blanket we throw over the mystery to give it shape. It's just a word to help us save time to talk about the untalkable. Which is how, like, when people have a problem with the God stuff, which I did when I started AA, it's like, well, you don't have to think about it as a guy on a cloud who's controlling everything. You just have to think about it as you are not the center of the universe and you were releasing control to something that is greater than you. That's why they're like, it could be the ocean. And it doesn't, yeah, and it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean like you believe that a conscious thought or a conscious entity is pushing buttons and decides who lives and who dies. It just means it's not, you're not it and you can release all the control for that. That's That's the important part of that. Little you is not it. It's really, you're all of it, but like little you needs to like wake up to the oneness. Right. And I, and I was not evolved enough to understand that when I first got sober 16 years ago. Funny, I get so it. it's uh... oh but to your point I love being silly too I just did Jeremiah Watkins podcast and I was like silly for two straight hours and it was so fucking fun and I enjoy everything when I'm doing it It's this isn't like a grass always greener but when I was doing the book tour there was part of me that was like oh I, I really want to do some pure silliness and then when I'm doing a lot of pure silliness I, I kind of yearn for the the yang mm-hmm. of the deep stuff but that that's a long way of saying like I'm looking forward to going out on the road. I'd like to have some of these ideas kind of, you know, barely perceptibly in there. But I, I'm also looking forward to just like having some like some fucking joy. Just like really going like, great. We can try and understand, and it's fun to be a dog with a slight semblance of the internet. But like also like, can we just be together and laugh? Like because life is hard. Yeah, and it hurts. And like, yeah, we and, need help. But this idea of yes, thank you is interesting, or even just like in any moment. Just stopping, you know, because we we get so caught in our brains that you know we don't notice the anthills we're stepping on. We don't notice the world, and even just you know, without sounding again too new agey, I don't know why that's become like a weird negative no, word. But we should, but we should be on the lookout. Yeah, but but it, but it's just the idea that. Um, Hey, uh, the sky is this color. That tree is right there. There is a dog barking over there. Like noticing things around you to pull you into the immediate yeah. present. Eckhart Tolle says, touch anything and really feel it. So I do that all day. I'll just like touch the table. It's the same thing I do when I'm I want to hang out with people. He's like, touches everything. Uh, puts his fingerprints on everything. A little Biden. <laughs> always touching. He's just a very deep Buddhist. Uh, but, um,. It, Next level of that is, right, because it's exhausting. I touch upon this in the book, um, is that it's exhausting trying to be present. So my one of my t- 
teachers, David Nickturn, who's a Buddhist, taught me the idea of the fourth moment. So there's the present, the past, and the future. But the fourth moment is a selfless moment. When we're trying to be in the moment and I go like, wow, my shake bottle is plastic and it's right. cool and, and it's circular and so is the planet. Like right. if I'm trying to do that, your brain will burn out. So if you're going around going like, be here now, be here now, be here now, be here now. Um, you're, tech, you're, you're, you're ruining the experiment by observing the experiment. Unfortunately, it's the only way to like get to the, the less effortful version of that. It's weird. It's a paradox that you have to go through this method that sort of traps you. But on the other side of the method, you'll catch that you are just being there now. But the goal, the goal is to lose sense of anything that needs to be here now. Mm-hmm. It's a complete... I always like the uh, image of like a spoon of sugar getting stirred into iced tea. You want to disappear. So it's not just like things we like phrases and expressions and techniques that we carry with us. You're, that's what I mean when I'm saying you're cultivating a spaciousness in you. Releasing need was a very key phrase in there. Releasing yeah. releasing need. Releasing yeah. need for things. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we need to eat. We need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. We need to breathe. You know, But outside of that, we convince ourselves that we need all these other things to be, to exist, yeah. to have value. And we, the truth is we don't yeah. need – you know, so it's yeah. releasing need to dot, well, maybe, dot, dot, Maybe dot. you'll like this. I, I've been trying this on stage too. I don't know if it's ever going to work. It's a little too – deep or, or not deep but philosophical but i go like i believe in god or i i like to talk about god i don't believe in a god i believe in a mystery mm-hmm. and i use the word god for that but and people think that's weird but i'm like we're all doing that your suffering comes from a story that you're telling yourself i, I was on a flight recently and it was delayed and i was watching people tweet at delta people were yelling <laughs> i will never fly this airline again about oh, okay. delta. i heard somebody go delta always does this fucking delta and i was like what are you talking about? You're talking about a fleet of airplanes. You're talking about thousands of employees. You're talking about thousands of buildings and offices and pieces of paper. But there's, you believe in Delta? Yeah, but fucking, <laughs> but yes, but social media, like Twitter in particular, has become, well, social media in general, has become an extension of the firing of our emotional brain. And people have those thoughts all the time when they get frustrated with anything. But it's just before social media... Yeah, they may say them out, like, they may kind of express it, ah, this fucking, ah, but then it just goes away, and now we're putting permanence on what right. are basically unfiltered emotional firings that don't right. mean anything designed to basically get other people to validate us. That's oh, my right. God, you're right. That's oh, right. they sure do. Or Delta right. be like, I'm so sorry. Would you like a $100 gift? Right. You know, it's just basically, like, foot stamping. But it's, it's another way of understanding God, though, too, is that, like, the analogy is... Um, a fleet of planes and a, a series of buildings and employees are like one thing we call Delta. The metaphor is all of those things are Delta. Mm-hmm. That's a metaphor. It's the same thing with God. God is like an old man in the sky because he's old. He's been around since the beginning. He's in the sky. He isn't above. He sees everything. Mm-hmm. If we were old, like Neanderthals would be like, well, God is up there because you can see the whole village. <laughs> right. Um, and then that becomes the metaphor. God is an old man in the sky. And then, but then it's even better than that. As I say in the book, it's like God, God isn't just, we don't use metaphors to talk about God. Joseph Campbell is saying that God itself is a metaphor for a mystery. So God is the metaphor. We're saying the mystery is like God becomes the mystery is God. Yeah. And I, I've been saying the purpose of life is life. Like, that, and that's Alan Watts. That's yeah, he says that. Yeah, I'm not saying you stole it. I'm no, 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 no. You're right on the money. You you pulled a thought out of your brain that is out of one of the most. If by the way, if anybody enjoys 
the Buddhist stuff that I'm saying, just type Alan Watts into YouTube and enjoy your life a little bit more. But he says that. He says the point of life is life. The meaning of life is life. And that's what I say to everybody. I'm like, if you doubt this or if you miss your old religion, like we started by kind of invoking the evangelicals that, that I used to be one of them. Play with it. Be Miss it. Go through that. Like, don't resist that either. You know what I mean? <laughs> Use it all. If you think I sound like I'm full of shit, okay, be, be that. Be the thing that thinks I'm full of shit. Because the other thing that, that I love to share is that how you do anything is how you do everything, which is what Richard Rohr says. So we want to die in a spacious way. A, a lot of us are, are raised to think that when we're on our deathbeds, we're going to go like, remember Six Flags? <laughs> but you're not. <laughs> I don't think so. I've never died. But I don't think that's how it works. What The way you die is the way that you brush your teeth. And if you can brush your teeth in a way that you're just brushing your teeth and you can be free in that small act. Like when I was on that flight that was delayed, we were going to Hawaii and uh, there was a 30 minute delay and everybody was panicking and angry. Like we got there early, but then we were on the tarmac for 30 minutes. So it just made it sixes it was just yeah. nothing and i heard people being like well we arrived early for no reason and i was like the beach won't save you <laughs> the beach <laughs> will not save you how you are on this airplane is how you are on the beach and how you are on the beach is how you brush your is teeth pete's, is pete's death going to go more viral than mine <laughs> is my death going to get more so likes? my ego wishes i could die and then come back and go chris i nailed it <laughs> But I can't tell you how I died, but I can tell you how I brush my teeth. Yeah. Which is almost always thoughtlessly and rote and just <laughs> trying to get in it. with And in a hurry. And I hate it. Yeah. But sometimes I can remember that I die. I can remember the phenomenon of all things. And I can actually remember to not even remember and just dissolve into it like the spoon into the tea. And I'm just a thing brushing its teeth. Chop, food, chop wood, carry water. You know what I mean? You're just doing what you're doing. And that I can report to you that sometimes, 30% of the time, I can be in that place. And that's what I'm trying to give people with the book. Well, that is amazing. And and every time you come on, I always feel like it's a... I was so excited to have you come on today. Oh, thanks, because I, I was excited I, to do it. I enjoy our conversations and you know, sort of... I was hanging out with uh, Brendan Small yesterday, and we had this amazing conversation at lunch. And of course, in the back of my mind, I was like, "Fuck! I wish I was podcasting this." Yeah, and then of course, I, because there was he just had so much great information. We were talking about I'm learning guitar. We were talking about guitar. We were talking about work and career and stuff and universe and stuff. And uh, and then what it made me realize is like. I need to go to lunch with my friends more when I'm not because podcasting is a great excuse to get together with people because our schedules are so busy and it's sort of a work thing. Right, it's right, sort of a right. so we're able to prioritize it, but it makes me realize that in the work life balance, I need to prioritize. Oh, just the number being, of times I've tried to hang out with the Duplass brothers, and it's not just them. <laughs> I just love them so much. Yeah. I would say that if they were in the room. You just need to be like, we'll record it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not for them, it's for both of us. It's but like, but, but I help, also but I also we'll have more fun. In as much as you know, the podcast is the idol that's like, it belongs in a museum and we need to record it. And so people put it on display. Um, I would also like to have, I would also like to experience the idol in the temple. And I would very much like to go to lunch sometime. Yeah. Have a mandate. Yeah. And uh, just sort it. of, just sort of t- talk about these things because it's the, the, the older I get, the more I, ex- the more I appreciate the value of thoughtful exchange with people who, you know, whether or not I agree with everything they say or not, but just thoughtful exchanges around people that I choose to populate my landscape yeah, with yeah. whose experiences may touch or complement or provide new insight or just, but again, it's just being with 
friends and pulling away from devices and pulling away from fake validation yeah. online and, yeah. and, and being a part of the human experience and contributing and taking back and giving. And so, yeah, I'm just saying, like, yeah. Pete, will you go out with me? <laughs> will, you, will you go to lunch with me? Shipmates? So. Shipmates. <laughs> Good pull. Shipped. Good uh, We pull. just got shipped. Well, one final Richard Rohr. If people are Richard Rohr curious, I always say Alan Watts is great if people are, like, into what I've been saying, 5%. Yeah. But they want, like, just some pretty dispassionate sort of... I'm a Watling, but Rohr curious. <laughs> what can I do? Alan Watts is sort of for everybody. Yeah. He's like Mitch Hedberg. Like, everyone's going to love Alan Watts. He's not going to turn anybody off with his God talk. He has some really hilarious stuff about, like, you say you love God. You don't love God. He's, like, very funny. <laughs> like, he's, he's like, burning down the barn, and he was awesome. So Watts is sort of for everybody. He's great, and a lot of his stuff... There's one called um, You're It. It's on iTunes. It's a great series of lectures, which is great. As we move down the dial, in the middle would be Ram Dass. And I would, I would recommend him to people, to anybody, especially if what I'm saying really re- resonates. He has something called Experiments in Truth on iTunes. It's a series of lectures that's great. But if you're Christian and like trying to hold on to, which is fine, those symbols and like you like that tradition, but you want to get a little bit, let's say, groovier mm-hmm. with it, a little bit more spacious, a little less gay people are going to hell sort of right. with it. Um, and, and that's just one example of like that tightness that can turn so many of us off and we just know intuitively in our hearts that it's gross and wrong. Uh, Richard Rohr is great. And he has a book called Falling Upward that I would recommend first. And then, so I'm going to quote him now based on what you just said. I believe this is in his book, um, Everything Belongs. I'm not sure. Um, but he says, all knowing needs to be balanced with unknowing. And all speech needs to be balanced with silence. So like, for me, all podcasting needs to be balanced with lunches where you're not recording it. Right. You know what I mean? And all my being the center of attention needs to be balanced with spending four hours every morning with my baby, just nothing, like being nobody. Mm-hmm. And that is, we're both in our 40s now, a rich life when you realize that the game isn't necessarily always just third season of Flight of the Concords, that it's about finding balance. And you can be the architect of your of your life in that way, in a deliberate way. Well, I hope to see you. Uh, uh, I hope to see you at a comedy venue. Uh, mm-hmm. I always enjoy your stand up, but Thanks, I want man. to. I want to perform more around town, but I just always get lazy around town. Yeah. Uh, are you performing around town at all? I have a monthly show at Largo. Oh um, yeah, of course. Yeah, August 29th and July 18th are the next two Largo dates. Those are always great. The last one I did was with Bo Burnham. Um, Zach Galifianakis, Sarah Silverman. That's it's always amazing. like amazing. I guests. mean, it's such a great. I think I might start going back to Largo and doing like the live podcast. Yeah, which has stand up and music, and then a podcast element because yeah. it's just such a great. It's yeah. just such a great. Well, if you vibe. want a good show in town, you should come do my Largo. I show. would love to. It's awesome. It's. We could talk about stand up theory because I'm like I used to be of the school where I'm like you gotta you gotta sling your jokes uh, to Fargo and like make sure they work everywhere. Fargo and Largo from Fargo to Largo. From Fargo to Largo. <laughs> You, oh my god we should do a, a Fargo style series called Largo it's just like very subtle and slow and stylized I love that and that's not to put down Fargo I've had some great shows in Fargo but you're basically just saying like going from a very insulated comedy scene to being able to, to D- does it play in pure translate now, exactly now I'm sort of like like my last special I'm like was I'm so indebted to Flanny Mark Flanagan who, who runs Largo the best I I work that hour the most at Largo. It's a Largo hour, and I'm really proud of it. And there's a lot of jokes in there that I know wouldn't work at the the Comedy Castle or right. whatever. And these are great clubs. I'm just saying, like, I'm sort of maybe I'm just teasing at the idea that like 
Largo is such a great room and it helps me write bits about like you believe in Delta or sing happy birthday in your head who's hearing that but that's bits balance that I the, like. far, the balance you were talking about before the the voice and the silence at the same time is the balance of Largo and Fargo I know is then you being take able it to, to just be right in the middle you've yeah. got some you've got that like because Largo gives you the substance and Fargo gives you the layer Dude, of, it's what we've been doing our of, whole career the appeal that you can translate yeah. those to we had the East Village and then we also had Milwaukee yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you need both. But as I get older and a little bit softer in the middle and all that stuff, I, in my comedy, I mean that metaphorically, I'm also getting softer in the middle. But, like, I love the type of stuff that I write and perform at Largo. So, like, when people come to that, I'm like, this is this is the creme. The creme de la creme. The, the ultimate undistilled Pete. I love it. It's my happy place. Well, thank you for being here, Pete Holmes. Comedy sex god. Is the book, which is available now. You can get it now. Yeah, you can get it now. Yeah. um, Wherever you buy books. You're not supposed to say Amazon for some reason. They get mad. So do me. (laughs) It's a good thing we didn't say that. I know. (laughs) I'm a comedian. Uh, Go buy it on barnesandnoble.com or go to a local bookstore. But yeah, support support a a meat space bookseller. Or just one one day on Amazon. I don't care. (laughs) How many times have you ordered a book in a bookstore? Like gone in and ordered it? No, I mean I go in, they don't have it, and I'm using Amazon in, oh, you mean using in their square footage <laughs> to be like, because they're like, we can order it for you. I was like, that's not a special skill anymore. <laughs> like I wanted to say I tried. Universe, yeah. I tried. Yeah. I'll buy a greeting card for seventeen fifty just to still support the local store. And a but, decent and a halfway decent coffee drink. But I'm not scone. coming back in three days. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just have someone bring that to yes. me. Stationary parade. Also, this has been uh, not actually brought to you by Blue Apron. <laughs> the crime scene salad. <laughs> oh my god, the crime. We had some premium ribs. Premium <laughs> ribs. We really did. Like as good as it gets, and that's beautiful. Because as I'm, as I think as we're both doing these riffs, like we're obviously co-authoring them. That's a beautiful release to go. Like, yeah. It just happened here. Bay leaves, bag it and tag it. <laughs> Pork chop. Why is there like a yellow placard with a seven? Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> I have to mark the pork loin as yeah. evidence number seven. Yeah, this and is. Can, they have, they have uh, rods that show you where the bullet went in. You know, because what I find that m- most of the dinners that I make at home lack is a layer of forensics. <laughs> so. <laughs> Forensically delicious. Forensic. <laughs> Go to blueapron.com slash weird. I bet it still works. And every time I, every time I take a bite, I hear the, wow, yeah! <laughs> this goose is cooked. Yep. <laughs> Literally. Wow. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now... New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. It's time for Word Salad Wrap. 
episode number 1009 of the Pete Holmes podcast. The wife and I are out of town, and uh, I've just done, I think, an annoying thing that people do when they have some sort of an internet thing, where they just decide to start, <laughs> just involve the person in the room, even though that person seems like they're doing something else, which may not involve the thing that you're doing. And so I've just... <laughs> Pounced over onto the bedroom. My wife is uh, feverishly ticking away on her phone at something, <laughs> which I'm sure is very important. And uh, um, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm all right. Okay, so we didn't really talk about this before, so I hope you're okay with <laughs> being in this. You know what I want to talk to you about? Your relentless positivity. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to make a joke and interrupt you and say pussy because, you know, I like to talk about Anubis and make really crude (laughs) pussy jokes referring to the giant fat cat. (laughs) (laughs) Real glad you went there right away. Yeah, but you know I'm just talking about the cat. Zero to 60. (laughs) Right there. I know. My, I so, find those jokes hysterical. Oh, I know. And <laughs> the best part of them is that every time like I go to pet the cat and you go, hey, what are you touching my pussy over there? And then you burst into laughter as though it's the first time you've ever made that joke. Because it's hysterical every time. <laughs> and the cat has no idea what's going he on. He just likes the attention. Or just why, why he, th- he probably thinks you're laughing at him. No, he's just embracing the joy. I I would say that after all these years, those jokes are showing no sign of slowing down either. <laughs> nope, not as long as I have a cat. They are a bullet train. <laughs> to nowhere. To nowhere. To pussy joke town mm-hmm. is basically what it is. No, I do appreciate that. But, um, but how do you stay so positive? So for folks out there... And maybe follow you on the social media. And I say, wow, Lydia is always uh, super sunny and positive. I can confirm that. I mean, listen, you're a human being like anyone else. Obviously, you have days where you don't feel great. But but how how do you keep that train going for people? I mean, I just always see the best in every situation, even if it's a bad situation. I know that it could always be worse. And there's always a plus side. Happiness is a choice. Damn you. How do you do that? <laughs> Were you programmed that way? I mean, I guess so. <laughs> programmed in the womb. I don't know. <laughs> what buttons would a person push to... Uh... I mean, I've just always been really happy. I mean, I know this because uh, several times throughout the day I get these... It's almost like I'm your own personal Instagram and you send me these little inspirational quotes yeah, and I little messages. I, I think it's important. I love it. I love reading inspirational quotes. I love being happy. You were you were mostly always this way or you had to learn to be this way? I mean, I've pretty much always been a happy person. I mean, everyone goes through ups and downs and has upsets, of course, and you never really know what is happening in any specific individual's life. We all have struggles, but... I just think it's important to be happy. And if you have a choice, which I believe you do, I choose to be happy. People do go through ups and downs. And like, so for instance, uh, I'm in a relationship with someone who keeps making pussy jokes about the cat. <laughs> and I'm trying to find the good in it. Well, what, what was it that someone told me the other day? I'm totally dismissing your pussy comment. But um, I was on the phone with my friend Scotty the other day, Scotty Mullen. And 
we were just talking about inspiration and life, and I think he said something that nothing good grows without manure. <laughs> so, sometimes you just gotta push through the shit, and then you can thrive. <laughs> that sounds real southern, by the way. Well, <laughs> you know what? You know what my granddad always used to say: nothing good grows without manure. <laughs> Nothing good grows without me. Well, you know what? It's true. <laughs> yeah, because also, you listen to all those pop countries. I feel like I listen to like a lot of moody British rock, yeah. and you listen to a lot of like... Good vibes country music. <laughs> <laughs> like country pop? It's country music, yeah. It's Well, it is country music to the an extent. The highway on Sirius Yeah, XM. which is a fun station. <laughs> I love but it. I don't know if country music... It's country pop because of the auto-tune. There's a lot of auto-tune in that, and that's pop. A lot of country themes, a lot On of... On the country music station, yes. yes. <laughs> but you tend to like the... What's the song that you fucking... You, you were singing all day the other day? Um, oh, the Blake Shelton God's Country? No. Oh, no. Um, Luke Bryan's new song, um, <laughs> Boots Need Knockin'. Boots Need Knockin'! <laughs> Boots Need Knockin'! Yeah, it's a great one. <laughs> you came with me to the Luke Bryan concert. Oh, is he the one that... Yeah, he does that little ass shake. He's the one that shakes his butt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because we went with uh, the people that we went with. You kept going on about You're like, I don't know, He just he shake, he's really famous because he shakes his butt and there's yeah, something about it. Yeah, he does a little it. butt jiggle. And, and then, then the he, second he does it, you get why he's so famous. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think all the people who were in our group were like, oh, like there but was they, like I, a, I converted them to country music because of Luke Bryan and his little <laughs> shimmy. <laughs> we saw him at the friggin' Staples Center, too. Yeah. Like the, or, or, yeah, it was Staples Center. Yeah, it was. And that place was jammed. Of course it was. Packed to the gills. <laughs> country music's awesome. And I guess boots need knocking. They do. And also, nothing good grows without manure. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for letting me um, hijack whatever it was that you were doing a second ago. <laughs> Just some work emails. It's fine. Okay, well, all right. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> And uh, I love you. I love you too. I love your listeners too. I appreciate your relentless positivity, and uh, and it is really nice. It, re- it is really no, helpful. Nice. Stop it! <laughs> and now I'll wrap this up with something that I saw on Reddit. I think it was a repost onto maybe stoicism or get motivated, maybe. Uh, but it's from the wholesome memes subreddit, which I was not aware of until this cross post. But the post said. If you choose not to find joy in the snow, you will have less joy in your life, but the same amount of snow. I like it. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Isn't that nice? It As is. I walk back over to you. It is. I mean, I still like my, you know, nothing good grows without manure, so you gotta push through the shit in order to thrive. That's a great place to end. <laughs> I love you. I love you. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, Call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, 
Had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.